had here was real intercourse. Circumstances of these rapes and murders are too unreal. Every time this kid has a dream, somebody in this town dies. What's the analysis from the lab and the sperm? I think my past has something to do with these murders. This is Dirk McLean from the 1982 film The Incubus, and you're listening to The Hysteria Continuum. Yeah, indeed you are, and welcome back to The Hysteria Continues. We're up to episode 18, and I had to check that we've actually done that many. It doesn't seem that many, but we obviously have. So welcome back. Um, thank you for joining us yet again um, as we look and delve into the darker recesses of the slasher movie. Um, and again, we're not going for a Friday 13th or a Halloween or um, any particularly well-known slash movie. Um, we're on the same groove as we've been recently, and we're looking at um, The Incubus um, from 1982. And um, that's going to be our fe- feature presentation for this week. Uh, but before we get started, I shall introduce us. I'm Justin, um, the webmaster of um, the Hysteria Lives and the author of Teenage Wasteland. And um, as ever, joined by our denizens of destruction um, from across the pond, we have Nathan. Hello, friends. Hello, Nathan. And Joseph. I am Sancho. Okay, that's slightly creepy. Mm. But um, <laughs> And from, um, from across a slightly smaller pond, we also have Eric from Ireland. Yeah. Disgruntled, Eric, because we just had an off-air conversation about a piece of music in in incubus and i happen to disagree so oh. hmm. so do i I, right. I disagree well we'll we will come on to that as the um the come um, being the operative word for this movie <laughs> yes yes i was going to say as the, as the bishop said to the actress um so yes we're going to be talking about the incubus later and also we're very very lucky to have two interviews um one with the incubus himself dirk mclean and also Helene Udi. Well, I'm not sure if... Is that how you pronounce the name? Udi. 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 And it's L-N. Sort of like Ellen. L-N. Okay. Okay. Well, there's, that's my pronunciation out the window. But um, we're going to be talking to both those a little bit later. Um, and also to let you know what else we've got on the show, we are going to be talking about our top three scariest slasher moments. So... Um, Write in, let us know if you agree with our decisions. Um, we're also going to be talking about, um, obviously, recently seen. And when we talk about recently seen, we haven't actually recorded for almost two months now. In the interim, I've been in, well, I went to California. Um, um, and I know, Eric, you've been traveling, haven't you? And, I've um, been to sunny Mallorca, yes. Sunny Mallorca. So we've been having a holidays. And um, the boys in America, you've been up to various bits and pieces, haven't you? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, we won't go there. We won't. We won't. We won't delve too deeply into your in, into what you've been up to. But um, it's it's um, nothing illegal, I don't think. Uh, so yes, well, we haven't recorded for two months, so we're a little bit rusty. So if it comes across a little bit like that, then we're going to be oiling ourselves up, as it were, and um, <laughs> moving straight on to our recently seen. And we're going to try and limit it a little bit because obviously it's been two months. So um, uh, Joseph, what have you been watching recently? Well, last night I rewatched Night School, uh, aka Terror Eyes, and this is a movie that I was not really warm on for a while. But I watched it again last night, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, 
it's really brutal. It's really well made, well shot, and it has some good snappy dialogue. I mean, some of it's kind of corny, and the identity of the killer is extremely obvious. But I don't know. I I really enjoyed it uh, this go around. Uh, what did you think about it? Yeah, well, I haven't seen Night School for many years now, actually, because I I well, I do have the tape, um, an old preset um, VHS copy. But um, it's basically fucked. It doesn't play anymore. I tried to um, watch it um, relatively recently. So I was hoping to hold out for the um, the DVD release, which I believe they're putting out, aren't they? One of the Is it Warner Brothers or who put this out? It's Warner Brothers, I believe. Aren't they doing one of their catalogue releasing where they, do, they don't do a proper release, but they put it out on DVD? On, on demand, demand, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's on demand right now. That's where we watched it. It was on oh, really? demand. Okay. What, from... Baby Jesus, or was it actually... No, Cable, Cable. cable so really? we actually... Pay, well, I didn't pay for it. Grant Grant did, but okay. we watched it at his house. And was it was a good but, copy? Yeah, it was not bad. I mean, it looked like a VHS transfer, but it looked like it was cleaned up significantly. But um, I, I don't know. I found this film to be kind of like a sleazier version of a Jalo, if that's possible. Um, I was kind of surprised, you know, the first time I saw the film, I really didn't care for it. But this time around, I... I found myself just really getting into it and focusing on all the little intricacies of the film. And there's one scene where uh, the killer decapitates a woman and the, they they throw her head in an aquarium. And I'm pretty sure this wasn't staged, but it, it hits a poor turtle in the head. And the turtle looks at it like, what the fuck did you do that for? And then he just starts eating at the, the uh, severed head. And I, I kind of got a kick out of that. It's a, it's a film I'd be quite keen to um, to cover on the podcast at some point um, mm. fairly soon. I wonder if we could get um, Rachel Ward on. What do you reckon the yeah. chances are? I'm sure she's brilliant. not ashamed of her uh, performance in the film at all. And she's, she's in Final Terror as well, so we could get two for the price of one if we got her. That would be wonderful. Yeah. But I've got a feeling, well, who knows? You know, nothing It's from the director of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, isn't it? It is. Ken, we we, we mentioned that last night. Yeah, which is was a very strange um, uh, career move for him. Mm. Um, but yeah. Um, what else have you been watching, Joseph? I also watched the uh, 1977 made-for-television film uh, Night Terror, mm. which is uh, stars Kim Novak as a woman traveling across country to see her sick kid in the hospital in Denver. And what happens is she sees this uh, guy who's basically, I think he's some kind of shell-shocked war veteran, and he, he talks with one of those things you hold to your throat, and it makes you sound like this. But basically, she sees him kill a cop, so he starts chasing her, you know, through the desert, and she's trying to avoid him, and she runs into all kinds of trouble and bad luck, and it's like a big cat and mouse game. But what I really liked about the film is that she's really, really resourceful, and at the same time, he's really, really resourceful as well. So it's kind of a this uh, chess game in the desert, as if that's a good description to call it. But um. I really, really enjoyed it a lot, and um, I think you posted on my Facebook link that you liked it too, so what did you think? Um, yeah, I really liked it, actually. It's it's um really effective um, thriller, isn't it? Because Valerie Harper was also in The People Across the Lake, which is the kind of... Was it Valerie show. Harper? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I said Kim Novak. Where did I get that from? I don't know. Not sure. She's been oh, we were going to watch TV movies. We yeah. were going to watch Satan's Triangle, and the and the disc messed up. And I remember seeing her name. So I'm uh, sorry. It was actually okay. Valerie Harper, not Kim Novak. Have you seen pictures of Valerie Harper now? Um, she no, would, no. She would give you a night terror, but um, <laughs> she's been. <laughs> she has, um, you know, she's been pulled quite tight. Put it that way. But uh, but she actually looked all right in, in Night Terror. She was kind of attractive for. 
that was what 35 years ago yeah yeah but yeah i really like it it's really effective um kind of rip off of jewel isn't it um the spielberg movie but in a in a good way it's actually um quite a neat little proto slasher how about you? I'll um I'll be actually I'll be a little controversial. I actually liked it a little more than Duel personally. Uh, okay, okay. Which interestingly, I think, or oh, this is quite nerdy. I th- I think the the person who played her husband in the People Across the Lake was the person who was the lead in Duel. Um, but I'm probably wrong on that actually. So just ignore that. But how about you, Eric and Nathan? Have you seen Night Terror? I, I watched it as well. Oh, you watched it as well. What did you think, Nathan? Oh, I, I love it. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, made-for-TV movies anyway, horror yeah. movies anyway. Mm. So it's rare that I come across one that I don't like. Okay, excellent. What about you? You've not seen it, um, Eric? No, no, but I am a big fan of Jewel, and if it's along those lines, then I'll definitely seek yeah. it out. Yeah, it's, you, it's, should, you should uh, purchase it very soon. Yeah, I will purchase it very soon. Okay. Actually, nice I, I do believe that it is on DVD. Uh, I'm not sure where you could find it, but I'm sure it is on DVD. Probably oh. the same place you found it, so we could watch it last night. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, That's, <laughs> yeah you should seek it out. Excellent. Well, okay. Well, Walmart um, was it? Walmart. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> they're the only place that's open, you know, after midnight or after eight o'clock. It's the only American shop I could think of. Or store, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Or Macy's or something, or I don't know. Anyway. So five, the five and dime. The is five, that a shop? What's a five, five and, and dime? Five and dime is a description for it means uh, it's kinda like mom and pop. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you, Joseph. Um how about you, Nathan? What have you been watching? Um, I watched uh my Super Psycho Sweet Sixteen Part Two. And oh. I kind of agree with you, Justin. It's not as good as the first. It's not bad. I mean, it's it's, no. it's a decent watch, but my problem is it focuses a little bit too much more on the teen angst than on the slasher. Mm. And there's also no spectacular deaths, just like you mentioned. I mean, there's the cake death, but even that's not just felt kind of lazy to me. I kind of I wanted something like that sushi cake death, and I didn't get it. Yeah, I mean that that's that, that exactly that was my feeling. It was kind of like. Uh, you expect teen angst in a teen slash movie, but you really need to um, get on with the slashing, don't you? And it it just wasn't yeah. satisfying. It was fun film, um, yes. But but yeah, just not not a patch on the original, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But um, did you watch them, Eric? You, you watch I've watched them? the first one, yeah, and I really yeah. liked it. I still haven't yeah. seen the sequel. No, well, you're not missing much. I mean, it's it's, mm. it's it's a good way to waste ninety minutes, but you know, you could also purchase that one. Of mm. course. Of course, yes. yes. <laughs> Doing all kinds of uh, baby Jesus uh, references this week. Yes, yes. Well, we um, obviously we do. Well, we come on to what we've been buying. Um, I could talk about what I've been buying at shops uh, shortly. Um, but Nathan, what's your <laughs> other uh, the one you've watched? Um, my other one, uh, I watched the new found footage movie Evil Things. Okay. Um, it's the one. I guess it's. Um, like a group of friends that are going up to this cabin and they're filming the weekend because it's, um, you know, one girl's birthday. And they end up just passing a van on the road and this van just starts stalking them, you know. Mm. It's your t- it's just like your found footage stuff, you know. Things start to get weird. The van, you know, kind of passes by the cabin they're staying at and stuff. And, you know, like eventually he attacks. But, I mean, here's my problem with it. I, I don't think you can make a good slasher movie found footage. I mean, for one, I think their reason for keeping the camera running was kind of lame. And, I mean, if there's a guy trying to kill you, I mean, why are you going to lug around a big camera? I mean, you're not going to – I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. And also, um, 
I mean, we uh, we don't see any death scenes. I mean, obviously, I mean, you can't unless the guy holding the camera is in the room while somebody's getting killed. And it, it just it, it seemed kind of sloppy to me because, um, you know, a character will disappear and then, you know, one character behind a door is screaming and, you know, he's getting killed. And and then, like, it, it just kind of cuts to the end with um, the last girl kind of feeling her way around. And, like, it's like three or four characters just disappear and we don't even know what happened to them. We assume they died, but, I mean, we don't know. So, I mean, the whole thing just felt kind of, I don't know, I, I give it a 5 out of 10. It was just average. It's it's funny, isn't it? The the whole found footage thing has kind of come back into vogue, isn't it? Because I watched um, Atrocious uh, the, um, recently, the Portuguese one, oh, yes. which was which is all right. It's nothing special. Oh, I loved it. I loved I it a lot. Yeah, I was I was a bit kind of that. I mean, you, that was a kind of um, slasher esque um, sort of found footage one, wasn't it? And also uh, the tunnel, the Australian. Yeah, I really, one. I really liked the tunnel. I quite yeah, liked it. I did too. Yeah. Um, but uh, I haven't seen this one, and of course, it brings us on to talking about slasher movie, well, found footage slasher movies. Is the new Friday Thirteenth um, uh, sequel? Is oh, yeah. the internet was a buzz with talk of it being a found footage version of Friday Thirteenth, um, and which we discussed um, at some length on the forums and also on the Facebook pages, and um, it seemed like consensus was mostly that people didn't think it would be a good idea. Uh, I, probably for exactly for the reasons you were saying, Nathan. I mean, how do you film gory deaths unless the person who's filming them is is in on the act? And, of course, Jason never um, works as a double act, so I don't know how well, that uh, works. Unless Jason has the camcorder himself. He could. He could. Yeah. That would. That's a good way of doing he it. Might have an, he might have an iPhone. Yes. Yeah. Maybe the killer from Island of Blood could teach him how to juggle weapons and cameras at the same time. <laughs> well, that could be it. I mean, I suppose someone could. I'll tell you what, a good way they could do it is somebody captures Jason and then they put a camera on him um, and he doesn't know it, but it's kind of attached to his head or something, or I don't know. And then they they watch him do it going on, they send him into a, um, into a camp. But I think it'd be pretty stupid. But anyway, um, Evil Things, was it? Um, did you watch that as yeah. well, Joseph? No, I haven't seen that. I actually okay. recommended it to him because I saw the trailer, and then when he Thanks, told me Jeff. that it was pretty, it was pretty, you know, kind of iffy. Uh, I haven't really had the <laughs> gumption to get up to watch it. So, yeah. okay. but I am else? interested. I am interested in the Friday the Thirteenth found footage idea. I think, yeah. uh, I think it could be done well if uh, they figure out a way to keep the camera rolling without some stupid excuse. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I also think that the thing that probably makes it attractive for them is they could do it extremely cheaply. Um, oh, so yeah. They, they could pump out a Friday 13th film for the kind of the budget they used to pump them out for, like a, a million or two or three million back in the, um, you know, the mid-80s. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, if you're talking of found footage um, films, has anyone seen Apollo 18? Yes. yes. No. no, who's who has? Sorry, I, I missed. I have. Yeah, did I you have. like it? And? 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 Oh, oh uh, who was uh, first? I'll go first to say that I was not a big fan of it. Uh, it may have been the quality uh, of the cameras and stuff. I don't know. I'm just saying that it it's okay, but, like, I don't know. I, I, to, I guess to give it more realism, you know, that the cameras are not the best quality, and they, they kind of switch around outside, inside, outside, inside. And, yeah. you know, until the ending, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I mean, it took me till the end, and I'm like, oh, I get it now, and it's a clever idea, but 
it wasn't really worth sitting through the movie, I didn't think. Okay. How about you, Joseph? What did you think? I probably enjoyed it a little more than he did. Um, the one thing I liked about it was the really intelligent idea for uh, making the moon rocks the actual monster in the film. Because, I mean, you, you get up there and you expect him to run into some type of Cloverfield monster, but that's not what happens. They, uh, he gets a, a rock sample to, to take back to his child, and that's where things, you know, pretty much go off the rails. I mean, uh, it gets inside of his suit and infects him, and uh, it's sort of like a—it's basically moon rocks with spider legs, and they infect you and basically turn you into a crazy person. But um, is, I do, is, I do kind that, of agree with the— spoiler, uh, do you think, Joseph? I'm sorry? Would that be a spoiler, by any chance? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't spoil everything, but no, we spoil okay. everything anyway. But anyway... Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, not for movies I we haven't kinda, seen, uh, Joseph. But I'm anyway, sorry? No, not for movies we haven't seen. Mm. Uh, but no, we'll, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive no, you. we haven't seen it. <laughs> no, we haven't seen oh, it. So. Well, you're, eh, that's not a huge spoiler, but basically... Okay. Uh, um, I kind of agree with him uh, about the cameras shift, shifting in and out of the ship and onto the moon and in and out of the ship. But I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it a little more than he did, I guess. Okay. And sorry for the spoilers. Okay, we'll forgive okay. you. Okay. Um, uh, Justin? Yes. I wanted to ask you and Eric something because I read about a movie recently and it sounded like a found footage movie made in 1992 in uh, the UK called Ghost Watch. Oh, yeah. Have y'all heard yeah. of that? Is oh, it any yes. good? Yes. I found it really effective on the first watch, but then rewatching it on DVD last year or the year before, it was it's quite flimsy. Hmm. But I, it, 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 ca- it, it, it caught yeah, first time was really good, and it caused quite a uh, hysteria about it, didn't it, Justin? Yeah. In the in the press, in the press, because it was um, I think it was done over Halloween night in nineteen ninety two, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it was kind of it was done. It it wasn't given away at all that it was um, a mockumentary. It was done as on the BBC in prime time, using as, regular BBC presenters. Yeah, and they yeah. sort of said it was like a, a proper investigation of a haunted house, and it was coming on Halloween night. And what actually what it was is a mockumentary. It was all filmed before, but it was done as if it was a live um, uh, sort of you know a live production. And um, they had this kind of it was all from a haunted house, and there was this ghost called Pipes. And it was kind of like the, the you know, they were basically doing a, a kind of ghost watching, you know, one of those ghost hunter things in the house before, you know, before it even became a, a genre of its own on TV. And it was so effective because a lot of people, it started off quite subtle. And so you didn't, you didn't know that it wasn't real. And there was no, you know, there's no, nobody knew when it, when it was on that it wasn't real. Um, by the end, you kind of got, you realised it wasn't real because it got a bit silly, like the, um, the studio got possessed and all sorts of things mm. like that. But um, at the time, it was very controversial because uh, apparently people, you know, there was stuff in the press about someone killed themselves after watching it and um, that people went mad and, you know, all those kind of things. I don't know if any of that was true. probably wasn't. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth hunting down. If you've not seen it, it looks very dated. And See, you... I, I haven't seen it. Thanks for spoiling it. I would never spoil a movie like that for you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Touché. Touché. Well, hardly, hardly. <laughs> was there a spoiler? That wasn't a spoiler. No. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, exactly. That wasn't a spoiler. It was just apart from everyone knows that. So, well, I um, could have, I could have not known that it was real. Uh, maybe I could have th- think it was real until you got into the possession bit. Yeah. Well, still, it was, I guess he but, thought you were a little bit more intelligent. Yeah. Well, well that's not silly. true. Take it yeah. as a compliment. <laughs> no. 
but it's definitely worth watching. I think you should um, watch it. It's kind of it's okay. one of the things because it's actually got some really really creepy moments in it. Um, and now it looks incredibly dated. And if you're not um, from the UK or Ireland, and so you're not you don't know the people, but the very fact if you imagine I don't know uh, who would be like not Oprah or somebody like that, but somebody who's very well known on American TV like like Ellen or somebody like that doing something and saying it was a real thing, and then you know, tricking people into believing that what they're watching was real, uh, it would it would have that same kind of effect because the um, they were kind of quite heavyweight BBC kind of presenters on it, very well known people. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was it's definitely worth you know looking out, and it actually um, you know not leads in because we'll do that in a minute, but um, uh, the scariest slasher moments because it's um, a lot of people actually um, say that Ghost Watch was you know probably some of the scariest TV they've ever seen. So it'll be interesting. Watch it and see what you think. So, um, excellent. I will purchase it. Yes. Okay. Well, how about Eric? What have you been watching? Okay. Well, the first one I saw was the uh, big, well, blockbuster-ish cinema release, Final Destination 5. Mm. I know Joseph has seen this one as well. Um, Yes. It... uh, As a film itself, it's it's sort of uh, par for the course up until a rather spectacular climactic sequence and a nice twist at the end which is the best ending of all five by Country Mile it was kind of gripping, scary and funny all at once Uh, again 3D adds a lot to the film because at the heart of the Final Destination series is it's just gimmicky, it's mousetrap done in an 18s rated violent movie way Uh, so 3D really really suits it Uh, I think the strength of Final Destination is that there's a consistency to all five films I mean the first two are particularly good I thought and then 3, 4 and 5 are you know fairly good pretty decent but there's been no major drop in quality and you know I really enjoyed Final Destination 5 I think the ending had a lot to do with me coming out with a smile on my face thinking god that was really good Um, just the ending was just so spectacular I thought I haven't seen it, so don't spoil mm. it. Oh, I won't, no, I won't spoil it because it's definitely, oh, yeah, yeah. Do not, do not read any no. spoilers on that. No. Uh, okay. I loved Final Destination 5. When when it got to the very end, I was I was totally floored. I was like, holy shit, I cannot believe that. And mm. the whole time I was sitting there thinking, I should have picked up on the clues because there are several in the film if mm. you go back and look at them. But I did not see it come at all. No, the clues, really, are, very, really, really the clues are very subtle, yeah. Yeah, it was a really, really enjoyable. Yeah, I saw it, and and I like the fact that they try to do a little something different. You know, like you know how part two did the whole you know only new life can uh, defeat death. You mm. know, they they tried to do that whole thing, and this movie, you know, without giving anything away, it tries to do something a little different too, which I thought was uh, really interesting with yeah. the whole like how you can save yourself from death coming back for you. And I found there's a rather um, brilliant gymnastic sequence in it. Oh my gosh! Oh, that's really, that, oh. It's really part protracted. that bothered me is when they they kept almost stepping on the little tack or the nail. Or yeah, screws. and then there's that was there's driving a, me crazy. I hated that. There's a, there's a loose screw in this bar that this girl is spinning around on, and then there's uh, a leaking. Uh, air conditioning unit and there's a fan that has sort of a frayed wire and you don't know where it's going to go and it's, it, it, there's it like keeps... several different air avenues it could do it is and it's, it... I, I kept cringing at the at the fact that she was almost going to step on that screw and then she i went, know yeah almost i was like i was like either step on it or just hang away from that it's driving me nuts <laughs> but the punchline is is just absolutely brilliant yeah, it is absolutely yeah. Mm. Cool. Okay. Well, I shall make a point. I did. Um, it was. It was all when I was in. You know, I was in California, in Los Angeles. It was everywhere on every billboard, 
and um, we just didn't get to see it. And so I just haven't had a chance since I've been back, but I will try and make an effort if it's still in the cinema. Um, great. Well, what's your next one, Eric? My, the, the other one I saw is an ancient... Uh, well, <laughs> when I say ancient, it was actually made in the year I was born, so it's not that ancient. Uh, it's Autopsy, the Jallo, okay. starring Mim- Mimsy Farmer and Ray Lovelock. Um, this is one I've seen a few times, but uh, I keep going back to it because it's just so... Um, bonkers basically yeah. um, I won't go into the plot mechanics too much because it's quite convoluted but it starts out with all these people committing suicide which is apparently prompted by solar flare activity from the sun I mean that, and that sort of indicates what kind of uh, level of script we're dealing with here uh, you have Mimsy Farmer as a pathologist who views all these um, corpses coming to life and laughing at her and two of them start shagging in front of her uh, then there's this, this <laughs> there's this bipolar priest who arrives on the scene who is a bit loopy for a man of the cloth, if you don't mind me saying. He's claiming his his sister has recently committed suicide and he's claiming that it was actually murder and that's where it's sort of the plot. That's the plot strand that's more um, conventional. But, I mean, on the whole, it's incredibly silly, convoluted and in true Giallo style, tries to wrap itself up with some explanations in the last five minutes that are, you know, fairly satisfying. Mm. Uh, I thought it was darn good. It's one. It's definitely one of the loopier jalos out there, yes. isn't it? Well, I mean, anything with Mimsy Farmer in it tends to be on the loopy side, I think. Well, the perfume of the woman in black or the lady in yeah. black is is pretty out there as well, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Um, yeah. No. Cool. Have you? How about you guys? Have you seen Autopsy? No, I, don't think I have. I haven't no. seen that one yet. I've been meaning to see it forever, but haven't gotten around to it yet. No, it's definitely definitely worth a watch. And um, no, well, thanks, Eric. I mean, I'll I'll just quickly um, run through a couple of the ones I've seen. And say so we've been um, I haven't recorded for a couple of months, so we've seen a lot of movies. But the the ones I've watched most recently, um, seeking on from the um, the Jalo, is to another Jalo, and that was Mario Barber's Bay of Blood. And mm-hmm. um, I've just watched, finally watched the Arrow DVD um, release, which is which is excellent, really, really good. Um, it's never really been one of my favourite Jallos because it isn't. Funnily enough, it's not really like a Jallo. I kind of guess. I mean, famously with the Bay of Blood, um, it's um, the uh, you know the, the makers of Friday Thirteenth and especially Friday Thirteenth Part Two were accused of ripping it off because it's basically it's a body count movie. It's probably well one of the first. Um, true body count movies where um, people, it's just endless scenes of people dying. I mean, there is um, a plot to it, uh, and it's a very, very black comedy, but what it does do, um, which is unlike most shallows, which tends to be not teenagers, they tend to be like 20 or 30-somethings who are kind of jet-setting around the world. Um, But in the Bay of Blood, um, there are those kind of people, but then you also have these fantastic four teenagers who turn up in in a, a dune buggy and just dance to really bad mock rock music um mm. smoke dope have sex and die basically so it's a fantastic forerunner to the friday 13th movies and incredibly gory as well um mario Barva is kind of famous for his um very very uh beautiful shooting of films and um all the tricks he used uh to make films look amazing um Actually, Bay of Blood is, doesn't really have that. It's not much trickery, but it does have an amazing amount of gore for a film from that time. I mean, it has a hatchet to the face. It has a throat ripped with a big um, circular sword. Uh, it has a beheading with a with stump sort of spurting blood. 
So it is a real forerunner for Friday the 13th. So if you've not seen it, it's definitely worth um, uh, watching. And it's also got the, without giving anything away, it's got um, one of the best uh, um, ironic and um, <clears throat> sort of, you know, basically down endings, um, ironic endings, um, which is uh, in typical of Mario Bava's kind of like twisted sense of humour. So, but I take it um, you guys have all seen it, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my favourites, yes. I would say. Yeah. Cool. It's a great movie. It's very good. Excellent. Okay, and the great ending. Great ending. Yes, and um, and great great June buggy. Best use for June buggy in a movie I've ever seen. The June buggy is fantastic. Isn't it? I love. It was it um, not Helga or or whatever her name? Um, it's the, oh, the one looks like girl. Susie. What Isn't it Brunhilde? Brunhilde. That's it. Where she's dancing, she's just kind of. I just think she's hilarious because she's just like really ditzy and um uh yeah no it's, it's a fun film yeah. there but is the, the fortune teller in it though reminds me of susie uh, i have to say yes it's all big big black hair and eyeliner yeah yeah yeah, yeah no she does well we get i'm sure we get on to the, the susie and toya debate a little <laughs> bit later if we have time um but the other film i saw which i saw the other night and i was home alone and whenever i'm home alone i always slip on something that i'm not supposed to and that sounds awful doesn't it but um, <laughs> like a negligee? not not, yeah. not, not a negligee or anything like but something that you know that you sh- you can't really watch in <laughs> polite company and um yeah. I picked up um, a copy of uh, 1981's Nightmare, actually, Amoeba Records, when I was in San Francisco. And when we were staying in San Francisco, um, we we had a DVD player, and the people I was staying with going, oh, what's this? Should we watch this? And I was going, no, no, we won't watch that, because I don't think mm. you'll like it. Um, and I knew they wouldn't be the kind of people who would like it. And actually watching it again, I realised that was probably a good dis- decision. Uh I really like Nightmare. Um, it is a really sleazy movie. It's it's really rough around the edges. Um, to my mind, it's the ultimate um, grindhouse slasher movie, and it's it's not really put together particularly well, apart from the amazing sequence, which um, if you know anything about the film, you'll know where the little boy um, beheads his mother's lover while she's on top of him and sinks the axe into his forehead and blood flies, the head flies. I mean, it's a kind of balletic, kind of beautifully shot, incredibly gory um, scene, which once seen, never forgotten. And so I watched the Code Red um, uh, DVD, and which has lots of um, scratches and stuff like that. But for me, I, I'm not one of these people who gets really anal about those kind of things. I don't really mind if a film's got a few scratches on it or pops. It kind of, to be honest, it just, I, I quite like it. It gives it a vintage. Gives it some um, atmosphere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, but it was great. It's got some, it's the, uh, is it, what's his, um, I can't remember the name of the, the main guy now. Uh, no, I can't remember his name, but he's, it's got a really good interview on there with him and he's got some insights into the film uh and um but bizarrely it does have a 90 minute uh interview with the director um uh, scavellini who it's all in italian but uh eric you very kindly sent me a link to the code red blog um, which explained all the you know the downsides of um, making mm. that dvd and how um, the guy behind um, Code Red basically has to pump his own money into um, doing these films because they don't make enough money to recoup their costs, which is very sad. But um, that's how it is. And um, I blame it on people who um, visit Baby Jesus nightly, but we, we won't go there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what do you think of Nightmare, guys? If you presume you've uh, seen it. 
Yeah, I've seen it. I've uh, it, it achieved notoriety over here under the title "Nightmares in a Damaged Brain." Yes, uh, became a video nasty. Probably one of the most famous ones, along with Cannibal Holocaust and SS Experiment Camp, uh, and rightly so because it is bloody violent. Um, I, uh, I haven't watched it in quite a while, but I have ordered the Code Red DVD. Uh, I'm waiting for it to arrive. It's coming from America, so it should be here in another three months. Okay. With the way I, the way the Irish postal system works. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But I am looking forward to seeing it again, yeah, because I do remember quite liking it back then, even though it, well, I could tell it was very sleazy and it's something that my mum would not let me watch. Well, to say how sleazy it is, I mean, there's a bit in it, um, probably the sleaziest moment is when the, the main guy, who's obviously the killer, and it's not giving anything away because you know that from the beginning, goes to a peep show and he's behind one of those screens where they have a telephone and you've got the prostitute behind and she's sitting on the, on the, on the seat with her legs akimbo and she's pleasuring herself with a dildo and you don't see you know it's not like <laughs> it's not like chopped liver or anything but you do see her pubes and stuff and it's just kind of and and then he falls over and foams at the mouth and has an mm. epileptic fit and it's just kind of i just can't imagine a film doing it these days you know what what film would ever do that um i do I love... remember the uh, lead child actor and it's been really annoying oh yeah TJ. Is, is that still the case yes yes I mean, all right yeah he goes he goes something like lady nudie do do or something like that and he keeps something <laughs> a really little shit but um I really, also, I love the bit when they're, um, they're walking, he's walking, the camera is following him, walking across along 42nd Street, and um, a lot of the people are walking along see the camera, and they're looking directly at the camera in the car, <laughs> and the main guy says uh, that, um, he says, without the camera following him, he would have been mugged walking along 42nd Street, uh, and he said, you know, and if I, you know, I haven't been to New York for... Um, over a decade now, but even when I went, it was Forty Second Street wasn't anything like it was back in eighty one, or Times Square. But uh, it it really shows how things have changed, and I think it's a great time capsule um, to show, uh, you know, Forty Second Street and that kind of grindhouse culture. Um, so it it's worth it alone for that, definitely. Cool. Okay. Well, um, as we all racked up over half an hour talking about what we've recently seen, and we tried to limit it to two um uh, films i think should we move on to feedback sounds yeah. good yeah who wants to go first um joseph you got some for us yeah um this is from reese donnell and he writes you guys and your podcasts are just plain awesome i've been a slasher fan since i was three and the podcasts are gold for someone like me i've been an avid follower on facebook too and i envy what you guys do Something I'd love to do myself because I'd love to share my slasher knowledge. Please keep up the good work. All the best, Reese. Well, thank you, Reese. Excellent. Um, and we've got like a huge amount of feedback, actually, which is great. But obviously, you you would hope that after two months. So um, if you don't hear your feedback this time, hopefully we'll be reading out um, more next time. Um, have you got any more, Joseph? Yes, this one is from Joe or Joey, a.k.a. Henry Bazio from the Body Count Continues Forums. And... It's a long one. He writes, Hi, I'm Joe. I'm a huge slasher fan. As I stated above, I'm so grateful to have found the podcast. In fifth grade, an old friend told me about Fangoria, and he had a couple. I had started catching slashers on late-night television, usually USA Up All Night, TBS, HBO, etc., in 1989 when I was nine. So when he showed me his issues, I was totally hooked. Like Justin, I had a soft spot for some of those late-90s WB slashers. I had a lot of friends in high school, but I never really wanted to go out. 
I was happy to stay home and watch horror films. And if someone wanted to hang with me, I'd have been down. Most of my peers were indifferent to slasher films, though. So I usually uh, spent a good portion of my weekends alone at most of my hometown's now defunct video stores hunting my new drug while my saint of a father waited in the car listening to the radio. There were several stores, and each one had certain movies that the other didn't. I loved all those old beat-up boxes with the artwork and stills. So by the time Scream came out, which I flocked to opening weekend, fully knowing that it was going to be my first slasher experience, I had already experienced most of the more prolific slashers like Happy Birthday to Me and Sleepaway Camp. I had already had an idea in my head of what the early 80s must have been like because Fangoria printed some articles about Siskel and Ebert or the public's negative opinion of slasher films. Also, my mother had bought me one of those big-ass Leonard Maltin film guides, and even though they were pretty negative, I still loved reading his bad reviews of movies that sounded awesome to me. I referenced the damn thing every time I watched a new movie. When all those watered-down late night... 90s clones came out i was aware they were inferior copies but that never kept me from having a blast it was always fun to go on opening weekends when it would be busy and i knew that it was the closest i would ever come to going back in time and experiencing that golden age when there was a new one or two or three just about every weekend also seeing uh flicks like urban legend big hair equals better villain only whet my appetite to see the more authentic inspirers. I haven't seen anywhere near as many flicks as you guys, but I have just as much of a deep appreciation of the slasher flick, and I can talk about this genre more than any other until no end. I never get tired of talking about or listening to others talk about slasher flicks. That's why I love listening to you guys so much. You and Nathan are so entertaining, and I love to hear uh, both your takes on your picks from all the top threes. Even if I've never seen or heard of your picks, I'm still so entertained listening to your descriptions and what you liked or hated. I don't know anyone with whom I could ever have the conversations you guys are lucky enough to engage in with one another. I'm kind of sublimating listening to you guys for the friends I wish I had. So consider me a huge fan and soon-to-be supporter or stalker, if you will. Keep up the good work, and I can't wait to hear episodes about The Mutilator, Slumber Party Massacre, and dressed to kill. Uh, what's that say? Thanks so much for keeping me sane on the lonely nights. It's awesome to listen to you for. I'm in the middle of episode six as I type this, and I'm so relieved to have so to have some many more episodes to listen to. Thanks, Joey. And that was a really long email from Joey. That was well. Thank you, Joey. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank can I, you, can Joseph. I ask um, what are late ninety WB slashers? Uh, like uh, I know you did last summer. Um, is it yeah. Warner Brothers? TV? Oh, Warner Brothers. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I thought WB was an acronym for something else. Sorry. It was Warner Brothers. I think That's okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, okay. oh, well, thank you, Joey. And um, thank you, Joseph, for reading that all in one go. So, um, <laughs> how about <laughs> My you? My throat hurts now. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what have you got? You got yes, you got I have two here. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is from Dan Dominguez. He says, hello, guys, I discovered the podcast about a month ago and just can't get enough. It's like a direct line to my childhood when I lived, breathed and ate horror films, slasher films in particular. Not much has changed, really. I'm still a huge fan, but nothing like you guys. Your knowledge of arcane and obscure slasher films is astonishing. I thought I'd seen everything out there, but it's obvious I've only scratched the surface. With your help, I'm discovering films I never knew existed or haven't seen in years. 
I rewatched Funeral Home and Rawhead Rex and saw All the Boys Love Mandy Lane recently after hearing you guys talk about them. I love the structure of your podcast too, devoted to one film, but peppered with great interviews, listener feedback and top three lists. Priceless. Keep up the great work. I'm officially hooked. And just for your information, some of my slush faves that would make great podcast subjects are Hell Night, Tourist Trap, Humongous, Rituals, Night School, which we've just mentioned, and The Final Terror. That's Peace from Dan Dominguez. Thank you, Dan, for that. Uh, All six films he mentions there would indeed make excellent episodes because I happen to, well, love all six of them. Excellent. Well, I think we hopefully we will get around to all of those at some point soon. So thank you, yeah. Dan. And, mm, Humongous um, actually coming to DVD in November, I believe, from Scorpion releasing. Yes. Um, mm. I, I hear I it's mentioned... actually cleaned up a lot this time around. Excellent, yes. I I actually, I, I think I mentioned, didn't I, I, I gave them some, I sent them some um, memorabilia. For oh, it, yeah. But I don't know if it's going on there. And I just, I just scored, actually, um, for 95 cents off ebay.com um, for original photos from um, Humongous, uh, which are each going for $25 um, uh, elsewhere. So I thought that's quite a good score. Mm. So, um, so, yeah. So anyway, just showing off. Um, yeah. What's the next one? Next one is from our good friend Tosca Topsocks. Oh, Tosca. <laughs> he says, hello again, Joseph, Justin, Eric and Nathan. Just finished your killer uh, just finished your killer party podcast. Whilst it's not one of my top 10 slashers, it was great to learn more about a bit of a forgotten gem. I've been busy watching My Bloody Valentine's special edition for the umpteenth time and have caught up again with Killer Party, Stage Fright and Cut. In trying to spread the love, I've attempted to get some of my colleagues into slashers over recent weeks and have converted a couple with the delights of My Bloody Valentine, Inside, High Lane and Manhunt. I've also pointed them in the direction of your podcast, so you will have a few more brummies to add to your list of listeners, hopefully. Brummies, uh, Joseph and Nathan, are people from Birmingham in the UK, in case you're wondering. Yes. Uh, I just many sleepless nights wondering what that meant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you know who else? Do you know who the most famous Brummy is, though? Toya Wilcox. Oh. Okay, I'll, I'll, conti- I'll continue. She might not on be here. the most famous one, surely. She that's, is. Um, well, is she? maybe Simon, Simon Le Bon, maybe. Yeah, I think he's probably slightly more famous. Um, but anyway. And anyway, um, Tosca goes on to say, have literally just pressed the button on my purchase of Slaughter High and Murder Loves Killers, too. Justin, you were right. I'm not sure about that sentence. Justin, you were right. The artwork for Slaughter High is amazing and makes buying the DVD even easier, even though I've seen it many times. Just a couple of ideas to throw out there. A few more book reviews or recommendations could be cool. And what about the top three endings? It's always good to see a big end. Uh, I hope that you are all well and can't wait for the next edition. As always, Tosca. Oh, well, I think I think we did discuss the idea of possibly doing top three endings, but we thought it might be just a bit too many spoilers in one episode. Well, Joseph seems to quite like spoiling things. So, he does, but, um, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, as, as, <laughs> as you, for Tosca. slasher books, it's not a slasher book as such, but at the moment I'm reading Nightmare USA by the lovely Stephen Thrower. Oh, yes. It's a, it's a fab press book and it's astonishing. It's so detailed. There's so much to it. Yeah. Uh, and it's re- unlike the previous book I read, which was Kim Newman's Nightmare Movies, which seemed to be a book written by somebody who doesn't like horror. Nightmare USA is on someone is from, written from the perspective of somebody who loves our horror so much that they give films like Don't Go in the Woods Alone such incredibly glowing reviews. And As films well like, they should. Yeah, exactly. So I highly recommend that for anyone. I think uh, Volume 2 is in the works for maybe next year or the year yeah. after, but definitely worth a purchase. It's called uh, Nightmare Movies. Uh, Night, uh, Nightmare USA, sorry. 
it's a fantastic, it's a massive book, isn't it? Yeah. And it, it mm. dedicates sort of like sometimes like about 10, 15, 20 pages to a film like um, I think Unhinged is in there, which yes. is, um, mm-hmm. you know. And Axe and things like The Premonition. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Excellent. I just have one other piece okay. of, of feedback. It's just one sentence. Yeah. Uh, I gave my friend Paul a loan of um, Eyeball DVD. Okay. The, yeah. It's Umber- is that Umberto Lenzi? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and he had this to say about it, just one sentence, but I thought it was quite funny. I loved Eyeball so much, I may want to run off to Barcelona and live with it in sin and torso. Uh, Eyeball is fantastic. We watched it again recently, and that, um, without giving the ending away, that the... Um, the closing shot that reveals who the killer is is probably my favourite ever Jalo reveal in its all its ridiculousness. <laughs> um, it's brilliant. So, is that all the um, things that did Nathan? Did you have any? No. No. Okay. Oh, he's always sounds so sad when he says that. <laughs> It's not like we didn't give you the opportunity, Nathan. It's people who think we yeah. kind of um, we're horrible to him. We just lock you in a in He's a. He's the Jan Brady of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, no, I am the Jan Brady of the podcast. <laughs> Are you swinging your Justin, hair, Justin, Justin? Sorry, I said it's always Justin, Justin, Justin. <laughs> just how it is. You know, well, considering the film that he's picked for pick for our next go round, I think it is uh, safe yes. to say we should lock him away somewhere. Oh God, yeah. And <laughs> I'll get actually, another interview for it too. And I'll try to get two interviews. How's two that? interviews. Gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We won't. Are you going to spoil it? You're going to tell us. Um, are you going to tell our listeners what you've picked? I will not uh, say. I'll just say that I'm the only person that probably likes it. And I'll also give you a hint. If you've listened to our past podcast, we bring it up, and Justin hates it. Yes. Well, I haven't watched it for many, many years, um, and there is a good reason for that. But, um, yeah, well, I'm sure people will be on tenterhooks. So, um, excellent. Well, thanks for writing in, and we've got plenty more feedback. uh, And if you didn't hear yours, hopefully we'll get around to it in the next show or a couple of shows. So, In um, the meantime, if you want to send us more, our email address is the.hysteria.continues at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or at the Body Count Continues forums, or uh, where else can you find us? Twitter. Uh, that's where you... Twitter, yes, we're on Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure of the address. Let me look that up real quick here. That is uh, twitter.com forward slash THC underscore podcast. Excellent. Yeah, do yeah, write well, us in, and we like hearing from you. Yes. Okay, well, um, we're on to now the top three, and what we're going to do is, um, as we know, many a time, and uh, many of the reasons why we love slashers is the fact is they're very, very cheesy and um, not particularly scary, but a lot of slasher movies actually do have very scary moments, and certainly um, if you saw them when you were young, and sometimes they leave uh, real impressions. So the top three this time is actually going to be our scariest top three moments from the slasher movie. Um, and before we get to that, uh, Mr. Palmer on the Body Count Continues um, forums posted a link um, to a YouTube clip, um, which is fantastic. Um, I've put it on the Facebook page as well for Hysteria Continues. So uh, if you like this, um, you know, uh, click it to play a little bit more. But essentially what it is, is somebody took a tape recorder into a 1979 showing of Halloween and they taped the audience reaction. And this is the audience reaction to, well, it's only about 30 seconds, the audience reaction to the closing scenes in Halloween. 
Isn't that amazing? Because mm. even mm. I am not old enough to have actually seen Halloween on its first um, uh, release. So, and I've never actually seen Halloween on the big screen. It's um, and I really would really love to, uh, but I know modern cinema going um, these days can be quite annoying with people, mobile phones, chatting, all that kind of crap. And we've talked about that before. But to actually see a really good horror movie with people screaming and shouting at the screen is fantastic. And the um, the bit I love actually. It's not on that clip, but um, it's on the YouTube clip, is when um, Donna Pleasance um, looks down to see where Michael Myers' body is, it's gone, and you can hear the gasps and, oh my God, like the audience, it wasn't a cliche then, it would have been really shocking for them, so um, it's a great clip, isn't it, guys? Excellent, yeah, Yeah. really interesting to listen to. Yeah. Fantastic. Very, very, very neat neat idea. The the only time I've experienced that in the cinema would probably have been Scream 2. Mm. Uh, I remember. I, I remember going to an absolutely packed cinema, and everyone was was you know it was really well behaved, but everyone was gasping and screaming at the right moments. Um, it was really, really, it made it really, really fun. Really enhanced the film. It's probably why I, I in retrospect, look back on Scream Two as my favorite of the series, even though technically it probably is not. Mm. Mm. I like Scream Two a lot, actually. Mm. Yeah, I, I had a great it. theater experience too with Scream Two. So I, I did too. I saw it at a midnight showing, and people were actually dressed up as Ghostface, and they had the uh, Channel Nine News there documenting it. Oh, really? Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. You know where the uh, Nathan? You know where the rave is? Yes. Obviously, uh, it was the theater before they built the rave. It was called uh, Eastridge Six, and uh, they had the midnight showing of Scream Two before it opened on the following Friday, and uh, me and my brother and two of my cousins went, and uh, it was probably one of the best theater experience, experiences of my life. I, I'll never forget that. Cool. Okay. Well, should we get on to our scariest moments? Um, should we yes, start with you, Joseph? What's your number three? Uh, my number three is the Session 9 recordings from Session 9. And before I get into this, I would just like to say a big congratulations to Session 9 for winning the Postmodern Murder Game at the <laughs> <laughs> Well, but one anyway, person applauds. Yeah. Yeah. In this sequence, uh, a character is basically he's listening back to the psychiatric session recordings of the film's title. And uh, we hear a bunch of like really spooky voices, strange music and stuff like that. Uh, Session nine, it's it's a really creepy, really creepy film that kind of utilizes sound techniques really well to kind of jar the viewer. So uh, I don't know, uh, Justin, I sent you a sound clip, so maybe you could play that. Yeah, here we go. Hello, Doc. Simon, you know who I am. Billy has told me a lot about you. Billy is a smart boy. What happened on Christmas night in Lowell? Use your imagination. I'd rather you tell me, Simon. Peter was naughty, Doc. What did Peter do? He shouldn't have done it, Doc. Tell me, Simon. He scared Mary, Doc. He crept up behind her in the dark. 
and he scared her. Mm, well, thank you, Joseph. That's a film. That's a film that uh, I first saw, you know, real late at night, and it's it really stuck with me. It's one of my favorites of all time. I I love Session Nine. I think it's I I love it as well. I think it's a great great film. Um, it's very very creepy, very very creepy. It's kind of I do love a kind of slow burning um, horror film, and um, Session Nine is kind of you know people might think it's not really a slasher movie, is it? But it certainly shares quite a few of the kind of motifs. It's on the cusp. It? It's on the yeah. cusp. I'd say it's on the cusp. Yeah. I mean, it's again. It's one of those films. I, I showed it to um, the fr- same friends. Actually, I was on holiday with. Uh, who I wouldn't show Nightmare to because I knew they wouldn't like it. And they hated Session 9. They thought it was really boring. But they only really like kind of really mainstream horror movies. So it's an acquired taste. They sound like Jamie. They sound like a bunch of Jamies. Yeah. I mean, that's it's just people, that's what people are like. But I, I Session 9, I think, is is a really creepy movie. Yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, That scene is, uh, is, a, is a really extended, so I had to kind of truncate yeah. it down to like a minute. But that... that that the voices and that music just really gets to me. Mm, mm, excellent, very spooky. Okay, um, thank you, Joseph. Um, I'm just I'm just aware of the time at the moment. We're almost up to an hour, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna speed through these, but we're gonna um, you know we shall uh, well should be aware of that. So um, otherwise, people will be coming after us with knives, perhaps. Uh, Eric, what's your number three? Okay, my number three, inspired by the fact that Joseph chose a film that's not a slasher. Uh, I'm going to choose one that's not a slasher. Uh, hey, but you, th- hey. you, th- you think it is, Justin, though, because you've reviewed it on History of Lives. It's The Descent, uh, the Descent one of my favourite mm. films from the last 10 years. Uh, and it's the reveal of the monsters. What happens is the women find uh, a cave with animal carcasses in it. Uh, they're viewing things through a camcorder that has night vision on it. And the camcorder swings around, capturing in the vista. And then standing behind one of the girls is one of the uh, crawlers. Is that what they're referred to as? Uh, and... I remember seeing this in a packed cinema as well, speaking of good theatre experiences, and the whole audience jumped and screamed at once, and it, it was really spectacular, added to the impact. Um, I mean, the whole, fi- the whole film is brilliant, in my opinion. That particular moment stands out. Mm. Excellent. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good film, isn't it? And it's certainly... Oh, I um, love The Descent. It's fantastic. Too. It's a shame the sequel's not exactly... Um, I good. don't mind the sequel. You get to see one of the crawlers doing a poo. Yeah. Yes, we could have could have um, lived without seeing that, but um, there you go. But uh, yeah, no, well, thank you, Eric. Um, Nathan, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is from Torso. Um, okay. It's the scene uh, towards the end with the main girl uh, who is left in the house. And she's gotten lucky through the whole movie because the killer doesn't know that she's there. And she's managed to uh, evade him through most of the movie. And she ends up locked in this bedroom, and it's one of those old locks with the key, you know, and, and the killer, you know, not knowing she's even in there, that the doors, he locks her in. And, you know, he leaves the house, and, you know, <clears throat> you know, she thinks that she's going to be rescued if she could just get the key out. So she has a newspaper and slides it under the door, and she's trying to get the key knocked out of the lock so it'll land on the newspaper, and she could pull it under the door, you know, and unlock the door and get out, you know, so... You know, she's messing around with this key, and then finally the key falls out, but it bounces out of reach of the newspaper. You know, and and at first watching it, I'm like, oh, she's not going to get out now. And she starts pulling the newspaper back, thinking that it's, her plan's worked. And suddenly you see a black-gloved hand reach down and grab the key and put it on the newspaper. 
And it's just a terrifying moment knowing that the killer standing right there was watching her do that the whole time and was just waiting on her to open the door so he can come face to face with her. It's a very scary scene. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Um, and Sergio Martino, um, sort of uh, great suspense sequence, isn't it? Mm. Uh-huh. He's a very underrated director, I think. He, I think, I think so. Definitely, as well. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, all of his shallow, um, you know, I really enjoy. So, yeah, f- great choice there, Nathan. Thank you very much. Um, for me, I uh, just go on to my number three, which uh, is a Jalo as well. And actually, um, Jalos mostly aren't really that scary. There's not very many. There's a few, like the house with the windows that laugh, um, and a few Jalos that have that kind of scare factor to them. But they're not really um, concerned about scaring, I kind of guess. But one film um, that did... It's one of those things with films where you get sudden moments of jolt, jolt, which are so out of character or so kind of unexpected that you get that almost out-of-body experience where you feel suddenly like you're punched and you're seeing something you're not expecting. Your mind is like a split second behind trying to um, uh, sort of process it. And a film that has that kind of moment for me is um, Deep Red, the Dario Argento film, when um, the the mannequin, the creepy-faced mannequin, suddenly comes out and runs um, across the room, and it's like a me- mechanised doll, but it's this kind of laughing mannequin which has got like a scary laughing face, and that whole idea of, again, clowns being scary and the whole idea of forced javolity being actually tipping over into something very sinister and it was just that moment where it's just unexpected nothing else like it in the film particularly it's a fantastic film but that and it's just that moment when it comes out it gives gave that kind of jolt which um you know i thought was exemplary it's a fantastic moment and that's probably my third scariest moment from a slasher movie so, very good choice thank you mm, excellent okay oh excellent um, choice i love deep red very very good mm. movie it's a great movie, isn't it? And um, okay, well, um, we're on to our number twos. <laughs> so big I, number two. We're back, baby. We're back. <laughs> I don't have um, any uh, any sound clips for flushing toilets. I mean, I can look for one if you want one, but um, uh, no. A cat yeah, flushing a toilet. Cat. Sorry. Yeah. A cat flushing a toilet. A cat flushing a toilet. I'll have a look for that. I can take. I, I can take my phone and go flush my toilet real quick. <laughs> Well, you could do if you want to get, get it. Um, well, there's a... Oh, what's this? It's, um, it's a cat flushing toilet song. Let's look oh. at this. <laughs> Let's see what this is about. He's a cat. Flushing the toilet. 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 He's a cat. That was brilliant. So there you go. Anyway, so... Oh, um, I that. <laughs> so, Joseph, what's your I've heard big number years. two? Like oh. crap. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Oh dear. We're done. We're done. We're waiting. Yes, we're waiting on you, Joseph. We're ready to on follow you, through. Okay. Um, what's your number two? My big number two is arguably another film that may or may not be considered a slasher, but if you don't like it, you can tickle my zipper. Uh, it's the hallway sequence from Exorcist 3. And mm, if you've seen the film, choice. you have to agree that it's an extremely jarring uh, moment. It basically has this nurse. She's kind of doing rounds in the, in the hospital, and she's going around locking doors. 
she wanders into this uh, one room and we see her from like this long shot. Uh, she leaves the room, she locks the door and as she kind of begins to walk away across the hall, the camera like really quickly pans in and this really loud screeching on the soundtrack kind of ramps up and this very creepy figure holding a set of garden shears kind of comes within inches of decapitating her. And then the scene kind of cuts to this image of this decapitated statue. Uh, this is another one I saw like for the first time about 13 years ago, and it scared the shit out of me, to put it lightly. <laughs> it's, it's a I love I, well I love that film and that moment. I've, I've said it before on the podcast, but I saw it at the um, the premiere in London um, as part of a film festival in 1990. And when that moment happened, it got a round of a round of applause. Um, which goes goes to show how effective it was. So um, yeah, fantastic choice, excellent. Um, who's who's next? Eric. I think it was Eric. Me? Do you want, yeah. Do you want me a bit? Of a... <laughs> okay, Eric. So what's your number two? Okay, my number two is uh, well, specifically from Halloween Two, the 1981 version. But it's a a scene that kind of appears in all the Halloween films. It's any kind of scene where the shape is lingering in the background with the person in the foreground completely unaware he's there. The exact uh, one I've chosen is the death of Alice. Uh, just after the opening credits of Halloween 2, she's the girl on the phone talking to her friend. Her friend says, oh, didn't you hear about the murders down the street, blah, blah, blah. And in the background, you can see the shape out of focus comes through the sort of back door of the house and silently walks in while she's on the phone. Uh, she hears something drop behind her. Uh, she goes out to investigate, doing the whole, you know, traditional slasher thing of who's there? Who's there? And the shape jumps up and, uh, you know, she gets it in the neck. But uh, it's, I mean, the scene of the shape silently walking in through the background is something that happens in sort of a lot of the Halloween films. So uh, it's kind of a, a broad um, number two, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's a, that's a scene that wasn't in the original cut, um, I believe. Oh, is that one of the Carpenter ones? Yeah, is it? it's yeah. one of the ones he, he shot. So that wasn't in it at all. Um, but I think you can actually see his hand in it, you know, mm, as it were. Yeah. So, yeah, excellent, excellent choice. Um, okay, well, Nathan, I think you know what's coming next. <laughs> so, Nathan, what's your number two? Yes. Uh, my number uh, two comes from the House on Sorority Row. And have you guys heard of Alfred Hitchcock's bomb theory? Yes. yes. Where, you know, he says, basically, for anybody that hasn't heard it, I'm paraphrasing here, but two guys can be talking in a room together and a bomb could go off and it'll jolt the audience for a few seconds. But he says if you show the bomb and then show them talking for a few minutes, the suspense lingers a lot longer and people get more terrified. And that, you know, is exactly what I think of when I see the scene from House on Sorority Row where the heroine is backed in the corner. And earlier in the movie, she's discovered this like jester costume. And, you know, it's just really weird looking. And she's kind of back in the corner and the jester costume's kind of, you know, next to her. But it's, you know, not really in the shot that well. You don't really think about it. And as she's standing there, suddenly you see the head of the jester costume raise up and her being completely unaware that the killer's in the costume standing right next to her. And I think that is uh, really terrifying because it lingers for, you know, a little bit before he jumps out. And the director could have went the route of having him just jump out and scare everybody, 
But I think he made the right choice because that scene right now, you know, gives me chills just thinking about it. Mm, yeah, that's a great choice. And also that Hitchcock theory um, is brilliant, which goes to show why a film like um, Rob Zombie's Halloween has got zero suspense or... Yes. Because it, it doesn't... It gives you everything, you know, uh, straight away. It doesn't make you wait for anything at all. Um, and interestingly, actually, when we talk about The Incubus, that's quite a slow slow burning movie isn't it so um mm. so excellent no well thank you um nathan um i shall give myself a little bit of <laughs> i love it that is I good love isn't it, it? that's random that was I very think it random should be our, uh, i think it should be our mainstay now yes yeah. well we shall we shall you know the world's our oyster as it were but this is my <laughs> big number two and i've got a little bit of a audio clip for you here you go Sergeant Sacker, listen to me. We've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Our squad car's going over there right now. Just get out of that house. Okay, well, that was, um, in case you didn't get it, was from the original When a Stranger Calls from 1979 and Carol Kane being menaced by the um, the killer who's hiding upstairs. Um, it's Essentially, it's a moment that's ripped off from Black Christmas uh, with the, the idea of the killer being in the house. But it's the first 20 minutes of When a Stranger Calls is, um, is a masterclass in suspense. And I still remember watching it originally the first time and remembering how scary it was. And when it came out, actually, I mean, the, they made a lot of the fact that it was one of the scariest movies ever made. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I, I really like the film, um, but it is a film that's bookended by two amazing bits of suspense and very scary cinema with um, a rather dull procedural cop drama in the middle. Um, and the remake tried to, um, well, basically uh, extend the opening 20 minutes over an hour and a half um, and obviously didn't particularly do it very well. But that was one of the scariest slasher moments for me. So... So, um, well, without further ado, shall we move on to um, Numero Uno? Um, Joseph, do you want to go first? All right, well, my number one is from my probably my favorite slasher film of all time. It's the eyeball through the open door in Black Christmas, uh, the original Black Christmas. And any slasher fan worth his or her salt should know this one. Uh, basically, Olivia Hussey has just discovered, you know, the bodies of her friends in an upstairs room of the sorority house. And... Before she can kind of make a move, we see the killer's eyeball watching her from the crack in the door, and he's kind of whispering a bunch of creepy gibberish, you know, as he does throughout the film. Uh, and basically, she sits there and she looks up, you know, she tilts her head and looks up and sees the eyeball, like, just wide-eyed, just looking right down at her, and that's the moment she just kind of bolts. And it's pound for pound one of the freakiest moments in slasher film uh, history. I mean, wouldn't you, I mean, you have to agree. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Mm. Yeah, no, it's great, great, um, fantastic movie. And the, the phone calls in that film, I think, are pretty scary as well, aren't they? Oh, yes. definitely. Yeah, excellent. No, no, it's great, great choice. Um, I think Black Christmas has given many people uh, sleepless nights over the years. So, um, yeah, brilliant. Excellent. Okay, well, um, Eric, do you want to give us your number one? 
My number one is uh, a film we've discussed a few times, I think, just before dawn. Uh, it happens at the very start, and it's a very subtle moment, but it's where the two guys come across across the abandoned church at the very start. Uh, the old man is pretending he's a priest and he's a bit drunk and he has a, I think, a thing of whiskey and a bottle of whiskey in one hand. He's pretending he's a preacher and he looks up at the hole in the ceiling of the church and he can see the killer staring down at him. It's just motionless and silent. Uh, and the score has this sort of ominous drone and there's no sort of obvious sting effect like you'd get in a modern blockbuster Um uh, and it's just it's just very it's it's a sort of quietly creepy moment uh from one of my favorite slasher films mm. cool excellent mm. it's, and that it's is a really good choice yeah it's very I, good I really choice. like that scene mm. i mean it's i mean and, it's uh, over it's over in a second like sex with justin but um, <laughs> how, how would you know how would you know eric <laughs> I, I couldn't resist sorry <laughs> how rude i feel i feel ashamed sorry yeah. As an aside, the guy, should. the old man that you were speaking of, that's uh, Mike Kellen. He was in Sleepaway Camp as the male. Oh, yes. He gets the arrow through the neck, isn't he? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Oh. It's a 12, uh, sorry, the 12 degrees separation, or is it whatever, it's Kevin Bacon? Is that the thing I'm thinking of? 12 degrees of Mike Kellen. Uh, oh, six degrees. It's, 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 it's six yeah, rather six than 12, degrees. I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, sorry. it's 12 for Mike Kellen. Okay. Well, it's got 12. Excellent. Well, no, um, good choice all around. And hopefully you're agreeing with them at home. And if you're not, tell us what your top three scary moments are. How about you, Nathan? What have you been um, scaring you? Um, I think you got a clip of it. Oh, yes, Don't I you? do. Yeah, do you want me to? Here we go. This is a clip of Nathan's number one. So was that that was um, a clip of uh, Joseph's last date night, wasn't it? With the pig sound? With you, Justin. With you. <laughs> See, that's how he knows Touché. the sex is so bad, because I told him. Uh, uh, it's all coming out. It's all coming out. Actually, Nathan. If, if, I, if I can be, uh, you know, a little kind of uh, nice to Justin, he lasted about 30 seconds, actually. Exactly. Well, that's because, obviously, you are better than Eric. Um, yeah. Nathan, so, Nathan, why did, you, um, why did you love this so much? Well, it's, you know, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is the greatest movie ever made. Um, and I guess it's, uh, it's a childhood thing for me. When I first saw that scene where Kurt gets hit, you know, with the sledge, and he, like, just picks his body up like a rag doll and slings him into that little room and slams the door with such force. I mean, that's the first time Leatherface is seen on screen. And, you know, as a young kid watching this late at night at home, you know, it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. So, you know, I still think it holds up really well today, that scene does. I would agree. I would agree. It's kind of, it's a, it's similar to the, um, the mannequins uh, sequence in Deep Red, I think, where you've got that shock something you're just not expecting it completely takes you out of the moment doesn't it and um right. yeah i would agree yeah excellent choice um 
Okay, well, as uh, time is running on, um, I'll just go on to mine very quickly. We've discussed it a little bit before, but mine would have to be the original Halloween. Um, and the sequence I'm thinking of um, mostly, apart from, obviously, we've, we played a little bit towards the end of, um, of the film, uh, is the sequence where Jamie Lee Curtis um, finds, after she's found all her friends dead, and she leaves the house and she runs. She tries, tries to get help from her neighbours, and all of her neighbours ignore her, and they all think it's a Halloween prank. And when she's trying to get um, back into the house, and she's trying to um, get Tommy to come down, she's got the keys, she can't get into the door, and then in the background, as Eric was saying, you've got Michael Myers appearing. It's just kind of that white face, sort of like hanging like a sort of a mask, just walking very calmly towards her, and... For me, that still gives me chills. I think it's um, you know a masterclass in suspense and um, and scares, which obviously the whole of Halloween is as well. And um, I'm glad to say, actually, some friends of mine showed a uh, their nephew who I think is 11 or 12 the film um, the other day, and he's seen Rob Zombie's version already, and he thought um, the John Carpenter one was much better. So. There is hope for this. Good future. kid, good kid. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, um, well, there's our top three scary moments. And Can um, I just say, Justin, I just yeah. want to say one thing about yours. Uh, that's one reason I love Jamie Lee as a heroine because she can't get that door open and she's very resourceful because she grabs that big flower pot and throws it and busts it against the kid's window to wake him up. I always love that part that she thought to do that. Yeah. Well, that's why she lived, wasn't it? Well, apart from she. Big- she did leave that door open, um, which wasn't she the best She should have done move. that. She no. shouldn't have done that, should she? <laughs> and I mean, she didn't of... have sex with you, Justin. Mm, well, um, <laughs> yeah, but what, what kind of babysitter leaves children alone and then leaves a patio door open? So that's a black mark against Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. Um, Not so much uh, as a heroine, but as a babysitter. Sorry? She didn't earn her $10 that night. Nice. No, she didn't. I said not, she wasn't so much a bad heroine. She was just a bad babysitter. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll let her go with that. She did um, save them in the end. So, um, okay, well, that's She's our... It's like the 70s version of that woman who just got released from Florida prison. What was her name? Is that your um, your what? sister? No, no, sorry. The one who killed her kids but got, oh, got away with her. it. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we didn't really get much Anyway. That. Yeah, okay, well, we move swiftly on. Should we go on to our feature presentation? Which, um, Joseph, you're going to lead us in, aren't you? Um, um, yes. After we've heard the trailer for 1982's The Incubus. Galen Village. Tranquil. Quiet. A nice place to live. But something has gone wrong. Look at the bruises on the kid's neck. One hell of a large hand. The spine was crushed like a piece of balsa wood. When the sun goes down, something stalks the streets of Galen Village. Joe wants to call the Attorney General. Have him send in some help. What do you think I should do? Take whatever help you can get. Thirty years ago in Galen, these same types of murders occurred. I think my past has something to do with these murders. No, Jim, listen. Something silent, something lethal, something or someone is killing the people of Galen. I think I'm going crazy. Every time he has this dream, somebody dies. You're talking about 
actual materialization. What kind of a quack are you? The boy's in the clear. He's not in the clear. Every time this kid has a dream, somebody in this town dies. It is real. It is alive. It is among us. The Incubus. Okay, take it away, Joseph. The summer peacefulness of the New England community of Galen is suddenly shattered by a series of murders. Dr. Sam Cordell, a newly arrived surgeon and pathologist, tries to help veteran police chief Hank Walden investigate the baffling crimes. Jenny, Dr. Cordell's daughter, tells her father about the terrible recurring nightmares suffered by her boyfriend, Tim Galen, which seemed to coincide with the slayings. At the town museum, the scene of one of the murders, Dr. Cordell finds an ancient book that tells of the incubus, a demon of many forms that ravishes women in their nightmares. He also learns that the incubus and succubus, a demon that appears to men, can be sexually interchangeable. In the film's shocking and terrifying climax, Dr. Cordell monitors Tim's nightmare, talking him through to the awful realization of what the incubus is and who it is in human form. I first saw the incubus back in 1997, I believe it was, uh, having picked it up from a rental shop called Videos to Go on one of those five for five for five deals, uh, five movies, five nights, five dollars. I remember watching it rather late at night, and the one thing that stood out to me the most was the atmosphere and how there's next to no humor underlying the film's cold, desolate feel. Uh, while the film does manage to adhere to the specific nature of the slasher film by utilizing POV shots and the standard graphic murders, the one thing that sets it apart is the underlying sleaze that so many films usually tend to avoid in favor of bubbly, cheesy thrills and spills. There may or may not be some sort of incestual subtext with John Cassavetes' character and his uh, on-screen daughter, hinted at by unusual glances and touching. On top of that, the film is sadistic and unrelenting in its plot point of the doctor describing the murders to the local authorities. And you can kind of almost create a drinking game out of the words ruptured uterus or sperm. One of my favorite sequences uh, that seems bizarre at first is a cameo by Iron Maiden frontman Bruce Dickinson in some sort of theater production. But his screeching and posturing actually underlines the scene quite well as we cut back and forth between his histrionics and a young woman getting murdered in the bathroom. Finally, the film ends just as it begins with a shot of an eyeball and the pupil dilating at the sight of something rather ghastly, which I won't spoil, at least not until after I hear from you guys. So, uh... How about you, uh, Eric? Yeah, uh, the Incubus. I, I quite like it. It has a really weird tone for what I assume was was sort of a larger than average budget slasher. Scenes it has a director like John Hawk, and it has uh, John Cassavetes. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, it's got quite a, a caliber of people sort of behind it. It's got Stanley Myers doing the the music, um, and you know, with all that sort of highbrow talent, it's amazing how sort of sleazy the film is in tone, rather than uh, it's not graphically violent or sexual in any way. Just, but the script is littered with all these um, just this uh, astonishing amount of, uh, as you said, uh, you can make a drinking game out of every time they say ruptured uterus, sperm intercourse it's just every five minutes that somebody is having a discussion about about it um yeah and the the dynamic between the father and daughter is very weird i mean the first time we're introduced to him he's spying on his daughter in the shower like she's naked and then later they're holding hands in bed and they kiss on the lips and it's 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 it reminded me of um the incestuous uh, subplot in amityville 2 the possession 
it, which it matches for sleaziness, I think. Um, there's a strange kind of structure as well to the film. It, it, I was wondering if, I didn't read any real background information on the film, but I'm wondering if there was any um, production problems with it because like that family that are living in the countryside with the girl in the wheelchair and then the, the topless woman who, who runs around listening to new wave music, uh, they seem to appear from nowhere and then they're all killed off and then it goes back to the main sort of thread of the story as if it was a sequence thrown in afterwards to bump up the run, running time. Um, uh, but, I mean, it's far from a classic, but it is hugely enjoyable because it's so offbeat and it's it's completely unlike the other films of the era like Happy Birthday to Me or My Bloody Valentine. And I think its its weirdness is where its charm lies because if you, if you took that element out of it, I think it would be quite run-of-the-mill and maybe a bit dull. But uh, I did quite like it, yeah. Cool, cool. What about you, uh, Nathan? Oh, I really enjoy The Incubus. I think it's, uh, it's a really good movie. Um, uh, one thing that always stuck out for me with The Incubus is uh, the camera shots. You know, I love the camera shot with uh, the girl in the wheelchair. And, like, the camera's sort of at the foot of her wheelchair as she's wheeling down the hallway to see her sister. Uh, and it kind of, she kind of wheels to the front of the door, and you actually could see under the door. And you could see, like, a mm. dead body in the room. I thought that was a great camera angle. I really like the music, too. And um, obviously, I think that the the way the movie ends is chilling, and uh, especially the end credits, just kind of you know, like you can just hear the wind howl or something as the credits roll. So I think mm-hmm. that the movie did a really good job at maintaining you know like a creepy atmosphere throughout the whole thing. All right, and Justin. Yeah, I mean, I really like um, the Incubus. I think it's a very um, interesting film. It's got a atmosphere to it, which is um, unlike pretty much any um, other slash movie of the time. Um, but it's definitely, um, you know, they've made it to be um, a, a slash movie. I mean, if you like the opening scenes is pure teen slasher with the teenage couple at the quarry, which um, I was wondering, it looked exactly like the quarry in um, Funeral Home. Do you remember the one the Leslie Donaldson yes, goes? Yes, yeah, I was thinking uh, that as well, and, and possibly the quarry in uh, the Redeemer. Although yes. I think that's a I think that's yeah. a Canadian film, though. No, no. But um, yeah, I it's I say it's very atmospheric. Um, it's got a very strange dynamic, and I was trying to work out whether or not the um, some of the actors were not very good, or it was just that whole strangeness. Because obviously we we you know we will spoil. Um, the film um, because we always do because we want to discuss what actually happens but the the person that kind of I couldn't actually remember who the killer was because obviously the idea behind it was that the incubus takes on human form during the day and so it kind of becomes a bit of a Hugh Dunnett um, who done it run it rather than Hugh Dunnett um, <laughs> uh, so it was trying to work out who it was and I always remembered it being John Cassavetes character was a killer but in fact it's not um, what it turns out to be is um, the um, basically the uh, the journalist played by Kerry Keane, who was also in Spasms and in lots of um, soap operas these days. And she's got a really strange manner to her. She looks quite reptilian. Not she doesn't look reptilian, but she's almost she's detached. And there's a very strange kind of um, um, bit where John Cassavetes talks to her, and he offers to give her a lift home. And she just says, "I don't want tenderness." And it's kind of this kind of—it's almost like an Ita- um, not Italian, but like an European art house, art house feel to it. And obviously, John Cassavetes is kind of well known as a kind of um, 
making art house movies, as um, uh, Aline says um, later on. And so it, ha- it kind of brings some of that through to it. Um, the other thing, I'll just say, you know, come back to you, Joseph, but one thing that re- really took from it, again, was this idea that you've got this character, Tim, who Tim. was the um, the kind of uh, the, the teenager boy who's being plagued by dreams. And he has the idea he has to keep awake otherwise if he dreams people will die and obviously again we talked about the slayer um fairly recently and about the debt um a nightmare on elm street may have owed to that film but i would also add the incubus in there because the film was made in uh tail end of 1980 so um, it may have even um predated the slayer i'm not sure but I think it was that whole idea of playing around with dreams and reality and and um, the consequences of dreams actually having deadly consequences rather than just, you know, you dream and then you wake up and everything's all right. And I thought that was quite interesting. Um, well, when we did this show on The Slayer a while back, I mentioned how both films have sort of the same atmosphere and I compared the two to kind of a, they both have this almost made for TV feel, if, if, if you can pick up on that. Hmm. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it's because it's it's supposed to be set in New England, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a New England town, like a small, sleepy, kind of misty town. uh, And, you know, and the Slayer has that, you know, that misty island atmosphere. Then they both deal with dreams and they both have uh, both have monsters that are not revealed until the very end. And they're only on screen for like, you know, a a few seconds. So I, I find, you know. I find both of them kind of stand up well against one another. They're almost like mirror images in some ways. Mm, mm. No, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I do actually, talking about um, things being quite scary, I mean, I actually found the farmhouse scene actually quite frightening. It still holds up as quite a um, very effective kind of slasher movie scary moment with the, um, you know, the um, the guy getting the shovel to his neck, the farmer, and then his um, daughter in the shower being killed and his um wheelchair um, bound daughter with the the door suddenly she kind of she knows her sister presumes it's her sister is kind of in trouble and then she goes and then the door blows open which kind of reminds me of a film like superstition it's got those kind of mm. that kind of thing and again also the similar the scene in the um, museum where the the woman is kind of looking around the library section um and you know very effective pieces of um suspense i thought in the film um but also some quite boring um if to be honest sort of soap opera-ish things but also tinged with some very strange um as you've already pointed out kind of character dynamics between the father um one thing i didn't get i was going to ask actually if you um because John Cassavetes is there with his um teenage daughter who um Erin Noble who's got um massive eyebrows there was a strange thing of eyebrows wasn't in this film lots of characters (laughs) had big bushy eyebrows but she looks like a hobbit um it's very strange but anyway um but it was the whole thing that um the soap opera thing comes through um that uh his wife had died and then he'd taken up with a younger woman who is actually the spitting image of um kerry Keane's character which again should give you a clue of who the killer was i kind of guess but there's shots of john cassavetes looking demonic um looking down at the body the bloody body of his wife um what did you take from that you know, i assumed why... that the bloody body was his girlfriend rather than his wife right because had the girlfriend died had she 
I'm not. It didn't. I'm not really sure. I got yeah, a bit confused. Yeah, actually, by that. maybe you're right. Maybe it was the wife, but I wasn't I, sure what that all had to do with anything. It seems no. to go nowhere. Uh, it's one. Of the, it, there are a couple of plot strands that go nowhere in the film, and that mm. was one of them. And it made that's what made me think that maybe there was sort of script problems during mm. filming. Well, there's quite. There was quite a lot of problems with it, but I'll talk about a bit about those later. In later, Neil sort of touches on them. Um, how about you two, sort of Nathan and Joseph? You got anything else to say before we go to the first interview? Well, uh, getting back to you know scary moments, um, I just want to you know kind of go along with the ending, which I'm going to spoil. Is basically mm. uh, that final shot is really terrifying. I mean, he's he's you know he's downstairs, he's kind of watching over the Tim character, the the teenage boy, and so you know he thinks that he is the incubus, and if you know if he's got him, you know under his control, he can stop. Uh, you know, he thinks his daughter is going up to her room to go to bed. It's, it's safe, but, but you know, the the reporter, the journalist, she goes up there with her. So, uh, and she's obviously the incubus, so he doesn't know. And you know, he goes up there after hearing, you know, the screams and stuff, and he sees the reporter, and he doesn't quite see what's on the bed yet. And he hugs the reporter, and his eye like focuses on his daughter, and she's been raped. And they they zoom in, to, they actually zoom in to her crotch region it's like spurting blood and it that music just swells up and it focuses back on his eyeball and that's uh you realize that's what the opening scene was and i don't know i find that really really jarring it's it's a really scary moment it's quite it's i I found that um again it's got one of those kind of weird things going on with it isn't it because when the um the journalist goes up and takes the um the daughter coca-cola which is kind of bizarre bit of product placement isn't it mm, it's kind yes of like, yeah that's you're raped to death um and you can't imagine the people at coca-cola they went the the makers of the incubus and said okay we've got this great scene where this teenage girl gets raped by a um a, an incubus with a massive phallus um do you want us to put a coke in it um but obviously they did so but the, the strange thing was was the teenage you don't daughter, want to hear what pepsi's doing for their advertising oh god yeah <laughs> but the way the teenage daughter looks up there's a moment she looks at her and she smiles at her kind of almost levaciously if that's the right word but she looks at her she almost as if like she i thought when i watched that i thought oh is she the killer because she looks at her as if almost like an evil glint but like a lustful glint at the, um, oh, she wants at the killer as if she wants it and it, mm. and then you know you find out she has been raped to death so which some very um interesting or disturbing sexual politics going on in the film um and how much was intended i don't know but we can talk a little bit about the book maybe a little bit later so sounds good yeah what well, did um i mean we'll come back we if anything else we want to um talk about um then we've got plenty of yeah, options i, I do have some uh, a few little uh tidbits but i'll save those for after the uh the interviews when we come back from those okay well should we go with the um the interview with dirk mclean first yeah do you that want to sounds introduce good. that um joseph okay this is uh dirk mclean he played the incubus and um he was brought in after the film had already started shooting and uh basically uh he has a really small but effective role in the film, and uh, that's it. Take it away. Okay, and here's Dirk. Let's go. It's too cold. It's too cold. You're the one that's cold tonight. What's wrong, Mandy? I know. Music, right? You want some music. Wait right here. 
All right, I'm here with Dirk McLean. He was in the Incubus as the Incubus, and he's going to answer a few questions today. So, uh, welcome to the show, Dirk. Thank you, Joseph. All right, I guess first off, um, how did you become involved with uh, the Incubus? Um, I went to an audition, and uh, they'd already started shooting, and they had a monster that was of a different design, and um, it was more like a, uh, almost like a panda, a big, huge bear, and and that wasn't working out for them, for the director, stylistically, um, so they wanted a different um, concept to the Incubus um, character. So instead, they they selected me, and uh, and it uh, I was like a a lean, um, wiry figure, um, and more demonic, and um, something that was that appeared more dangerous on camera. Most films of this nature, they kind of adhere to a uh, specific formula of like. A stalker who kills teenagers, but uh, the Incubus sort of kind of broke the mold and told a story about a demonic entity which is killing women with, uh, I guess, essentially it's a gigantic phallus. I mean, were you apprehensive yeah. about taking on the role due to its subject matter? <laughs> no, not at all. I was I was young. I was uh, this, this was 1980 in the fall of 1980 when we shot it. Um, so no, I was quite open to it. And um, you know, it was it was a role as an actor. Right, right. Had you um had you read or were you aware of the uh, 1976 novel on which the film was based? No, I only heard about that afterwards. We don't really see much of the actual creature design until the last few frames of the film. But um, apart from that particular sequence, how much more of the film were you involved with? And were there any? There was yeah. Were there any there sequences? Was a lot more shot. Okay. The, any sequences you remember shooting that didn't make it into the film? Uh, um, there was the big scene, basically when when John Cassavetes is telling um, telling the boy to to bring it through. In other words, to induce the dream. He's inducing the dream to bring to to bring it through. Basically, it's, it's the um, the monster, but Cassavetes, the, the doctor, doesn't quite know what is going to manifest and until it does. Um, so, because it, it, it's almost as if it's in this boy's head, in essence, but it's much, it's much more than that. And for someone who um, hasn't seen the film, I, I don't want to quite give away the very last frame. <laughs> oh, no, it's a, it's a shocker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a good point. Yes, it is. It's very haunting, I think. Were um were you on set for a lot of the filming? I mean, did you? Uh, is there any kind of behind the scenes stories you might remember? No, I, most of the time of the shooting, I was um, in makeup testing, and then in in makeup, and um, because the makeup was full body makeup, uh, my head was cast so that the um, the creator of the of the incubus, uh, Maureen. So she had to sculpt from um, the cast of my face, and it was quite—it was, you know, this was weak. It was quite complicated, and um, and then testing for, for color and you know testing to make sure that um, it was somewhat realistic and not um, like tone was was grayish green, um, but more of a of a pastel. Um, 
my nails were built on so there were claws built onto my own nails so my fingers and my toes and, and that was for one sequence of grabbing a girl in 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 a washroom stall in in cinema scene um and so you see the hands just grab her and pull her down and she's one of the victims um and that took you know that took a few hours and that was a friday <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't completed um all of that scene so i had to go home basically with the the nails on um because they were like soldered on soldered on to my own nails and built and carved and and so on um both fingers and toes um and this was in the fall <laughs> so, so i spent the weekend in sandals so that the uh the toes you know wouldn't get broken off in time for monday <laughs> um to resume shooting and um at least it wasn't in, in the middle of winter so if you were wearing sandals did you get uh did anyone kind of give yeah, you strange yeah. looks when they saw the yeah there was near halloween at that point so <laughs> Oh, so people thought I was preparing for Halloween. Uh, so you kind of got away with it a little bit then. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was it like to, I mean, did you uh, get to speak with John Cassavetes, if you remember? He was, well, um, the schedule was tight. He was basically um, involved in some rewrites um, as, as we were shooting, and he was very much to himself um, and just busy. So... Um, because he, you know, he wasn't just an actor on the show, so he was concerned about how it was progressing, how it was developing, and um, and everything. So I, I didn't have much time uh, talking to, him. you know, just the introduction. Basically, that was it. One of the things of the making of this film was they used a particular lens. It was a lens that, that was developed that gives the effect if you were to see this on a, on a large screen, it gives the effect of as if you're in the room. Um, it, it, it almost like places you visually much closer um, than other films did at that time. I don't know if that, that technique um, has been employed by anyone else. I'm not sure of the name of it, but I think I've heard of that before. But um, when was the last time you saw the film? Oh, I would think uh, maybe about 10 years ago. you have a personal opinion of it? I liked it. I enjoyed it very much. I, um, Again, as you said, it was a unique story at that time. And even though it's, it's um, you know, the scenes are, are somewhat realistic. So there wasn't stuff where, where people would laugh at um, certain horrific moments. Um, you know... This brought a lot of emotion um, to the to the viewer, and um, and it came across very powerfully. I mean, I know there were people who saw it and had trouble sleeping at night because, like, what if a monster like this comes into my dream? And <laughs> right, a lot of those types of films they have a little bit of uh, underlying humor, but um, the Incubus is pretty humor-free. It's pretty dark and it's straightforward, yeah. but um. Yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, so I was just wondering if you'd be interested in telling us uh, what you're up to these days. Uh, these days I'm busy more as a writer. I'm a children's author. Oh, wow. And um, I have a recent 
a children's picture book called Curtain Up, which is the subject matter is, is theater. A young girl uh, lands uh, the lead role in play, and it's her first big play. And uh, in essence, she's taking the the reader through the process from auditioning, through rehearsals, through finding about, you know, learning about theater, uh, all the way through to opening night. And uh, there's that, and I'm working on my first young adult novel, uh, which will be out next year, uh, which subject matter is cricket. Uh, do you know cricket? Do you know much about cricket? The The sport? Yeah, the sport. I know a little bit. Uh, I've never played or anything, but I, I know what it is. Right. So, yeah. So, enjoying things like that. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Dirk, and uh, good luck to you in the future, and uh, okay, I'll, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you, then. Take care. Uh, Tim, um, I got some bad news. What's the matter, Jenny? It's about Roy. He was killed last night. He was murdered. All right, that was Dirk McLean. He played the Incubus in the Incubus. And I just want to say thank you, Dirk, for taking the time out of your day to uh, talk with me. I know you're a very busy man, but uh, we really appreciate it here. And um, I have a few little tidbits about the film. I couldn't really find a whole lot, but uh, what I did find was the the German title is um, Murderish... Trauma or something like that. I can't. I'm not German, so I don't. I can't pronounce it. But it basically means murderous dreams. You know, going back to the whole uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the Slayer kind of connection. Um, and despite the film's title, the incubus creature only appears on screen for 10 seconds of running time. So I thought that was kind of a neat little tidbit. Um, the production script consultant Jeremy Hull. Hull. <laughs> that's a good name for the incubus. He cameos in the film as one of the witch torturers. Uh, in one of the flashback scenes and uh, the feature film debut for actress Carrie Keene, who played the uh, reporter. Uh, yeah, she was a reporter, right? Yeah. Carrie Keene. Right. Yeah. Uh, she's obviously most famous for her roles on the young and the restless. And one of Eric's favorite shows, Beverly Hills, 90210. Woo, who did she play in 90210? I'm not sure. I just know she had a significant uh, role. Uh, she was, let, let me, me check. See. I want to know who she was on young and the restless. <laughs> she was on, on both shows so for a, she was on both shows for a significant amount of time and she's fairly well known for both roles oh but, I, think uh, I, I think i know who she was i think she um tried to get into jason Priestley's underpants in 90210 oh yes she was his lecturer's wife in, in university uh, so yes. she was one of those milfs then huh she was a total oh. milf yeah Cougar or whatever they call them. Mm. <laughs> whatever. But um, let's see. I, that's pretty much all the little tidbits I could find. I, I, either of you uh, have anything? Um, I I've, have, got, I've got quite oh, a bit, but I'll let you you go first, Eric. And okay, well, my, my, my uh, tidbit of information is based on my favorite part of the film, I should say, and that is, as you would expect, the appearance of the rock band Samson. Uh, fronted by Bruce Dickinson. Um, Bruce Dickinson, this was just before he joined Iron Maiden. It actually was not shot for the Incubus. It was actually an existing music video they'd made in 1980 uh, for their song, Vice Versa, and they incorporated bits of it into the Incubus. Uh, I'll tell you what I found about it. 
it was part of a short B movie they filmed circa 1980 uh, for two songs from their album Head On. Uh, the short film depicts a super roadie who fights evil orange jumpsuit wearing bouncers and they have their faces painted green for some reason. You can view this footage on YouTube if you want. And they're trying to stop the rock and roll crowd from having a good time. So the bouncer tries to beat them up so that the crowd can go wild. So the bouncer set this evil wench on her and she's the one who cuts his hair. Because, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's, it's the Samson myth, you know, cuts his hair and reduces his strength. But in the end, he manages to knock over a big pile of uh, amplifiers and kills the, road, the evil roadies so that the crowd can have their good time in the end. It's a bit silly, but I do, I have to say, I'm not a fan of, of metal normally. I'm not a fan of Iron Maiden, but I think the song Vice think- Versa is brilliant. Uh, well, we might be playing that, uh, the, sort of finishing the show with that song. Yay. So, yay. Well, hmm. <laughs> you, can buy, you can buy it for 99, well, if you're in, if you're in the Eurozone, you can buy it for 99 cents on iTunes. Yeah, well, there See, you go. I rather like Iron Maiden myself. Do you, yeah? Yes. I like to bring I- your daughter to the slaughter, yeah. Yeah. By the way, the music by Stanley Myers, he is most famous probably for uh, his score to The Deer Hunter, but he also did the score to Frightmare, the 1974 movie that we've mentioned a few times. Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And John, sorry, just John Cassavetes apparently had a hand in uh, retweaking the script during filming. Uh, he's, the horror fans are probably known best from his roles in Rosemary's Baby and The Fury. Mm. Cool. Okay. How about you, Nathan? You got anything? I'm sorry. I don't have anything. Oh, Nathan. Nathan. What a fucking surprise. <laughs> I am doing Do a homework. lot of research on the next pick, okay? It, it's taken up a lot of time. Okay. Well, it took All right. Well, we, we shall see. episodes to get to, you, get to you to have something, so I guess it better be worth it. Yeah, yeah I'm the be one worth that helped out on Chopping Mall. I told you about Barbara Crampton soap opera stuff. Exactly. Yes. That was, that was very good. Very good. <laughs> Okay, well, I've got a few bits, bits and peepees, bits and pieces, bits and peepees, bits and peepees. No, no, nothing like that. Um, well, play the play the cat flushing the toilet song again. I can't I, remember how it goes. I've, I've closed YouTube now. Oh. Um, okay. All right. Here we go. Well, the Incubus was based on a book by a novelist called Ray Russell, and it was published in 1976. And obviously, it's much more explicit um, about the um, the rape murders, and I think it goes into much more detail. Although I've not actually read it about um, this kind of monster, the Incubus, um, sort of stalking a Californian town. It was originally set in California with a giant phallus. Um, and as I said before, I think as I mentioned in um, the book, it's um, in Teenage Wasteland that um, the 1980s, early 1980s, were very um, adventurous um, in movie making, in horror movie, make, movie making, but obviously wasn't that adventurous to show anything that explicit. So the film itself is quite understated. Um, interestingly, David Cronenberg was offered um, the job of directing the film and he turned it down. Apparently he was um, preparing a, uh, a three-part film, um, or a kind of anthology film actually, with John Carpenter and another director, which actually fell through um, when Carpenter, I think he went off to direct another film. Um, the film was released in, um, it was made in, I think in November 1980, and it wasn't released in the States until September 82, so it's almost two years later. Um, interestingly, the film itself actually got held up for a number of reasons. One of them was the, the film went into receivership in, um, in Canada, 
Um, uh, well, basically, I'm not quite sure what happened, but I found something saying that it went into receivership by a Canadian bank in November 1981, which um, goes to show why the film's probably held up from being released. Um, what else was there? Uh, do, do, do. Um, when it was released in the States in 82, um, it actually made quite a lot of money. The, the budget was about $5.1 million. I'm not sure if that was Canadian or American. But um, it made $13 million at the uh, box office, um, which is about $30 million in today's money. So I've got a cat um, sort of uh, around me, Gilbert, and he's got... He's flushing the toilet. No, he's, he's not flushing the toilet, but what he's doing is being a right little bastard because he's um, get caught up in my microphone um, cable. So anyway, you might hear him if he's purring. Uh, so I've got cat's ass in my face. Um, but apart from that, I shall try and move on like the professional that I'm not. Um, John Cassavetes was obviously known as, um, apart from as Eric saying, for a few genre um, pieces, but he was known as a kind of uh, a sort of serious actor who was only really in art films, and he was known as taking these films basically to fund his kind of um, more small-scale art films. However, um, apparently he really liked this film. Um, I found something from a, um, a paper at the time, and he says that The Incubus was the most fun I've had making a picture. Um, and I think when we talk to Helene, um, she'll tell a little bit more why that was. He went on to say, I think it's going to be a really good film. And if I'm wrong, I'll eat the picture. So I don't know what he meant by that. But um, so he obviously thought it was going to be good. Yeah, he goes on to say this picture is going to be terrific. Um, it was also um, made with John Ireland, who played the, um, the, the cop in this. Uh, what else have we got? Um, actually, John Cassavetes was a doctor before he became, a, um, uh, before he became an actor. So it kind of mirrors his online persona. Uh, doo -doo -doo. What else have we got here? Um, oh, yeah, there's a quite funny review I found from the New York Times by Vincent Canby, who really hated slasher movies, like most reviewers did at the time. Uh, and he, he basically says sums it up by saying, "Movies like the, like this aren't totally worthless. They provide employment for a number of people." So he obviously didn't like it. He says that the um, the killer um, looks like a large, shaggy, extremely mean ET with bad teeth. So as you can tell, he wasn't particularly uh, keen on the film. Uh, I think that's pretty much um, everything I've got apart. Obviously, just wanted to reiterate what um, Dirk said, which I had no idea, but I thought it was quite funny when he said the killer was originally a giant panda. Did you... You got that from there, didn't you? I, I, or kind of bear-like creature, but he says it's like a giant panda, and wouldn't that have been amazing to have a film with a killer panda? Well, girls' uh, nice I'd like to see, at least see the, yes. uh, the actual... I'd like to see footage of what they... If they shot any of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There. Because obviously, and also I was going to say, the um, the director, um, he kind of started off with Hammer um, and he directed things like Twins of Evil um, and obviously went on to films like Legend of Hell House um, and also American Gothic, which is kind of like, is another kind of slasher-esque movie and, and also Howling 4, I think, the original Nightmare, which um, I don't think it's quite as bad as Howling 3 and the Marsupials, but I don't think it's a great film as far as I can remember. Uh, I think that's everything for um, background that I've got on the film. 
Um, apart from obviously it was a Canadian film, it wasn't shot in the um, US. Uh, but apart from that, I think that's everything. Um, oh, l- one last thing. It got a UK cinema release in November 1982. Um, and interestingly, the, um, the, one, the, well, the quad poster, which I don't have, but when I was looking around for information on it, I found it. Um, and it says it's actually got the, um, the video label on the, um, on the kind of the movie poster. And a bit like how we discussed um, Superstition when that was released as The Witch in UK cinemas, um, it, it was released actually after it was very popular on video. But this actually got a dual release um, at the cinema and also, also VT, VT, oops, VT, VT. Sorry, I'm breaking up there. Can you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I went, sorry, it's a little it's bit of cat. a. Yeah, it's my cat. I think she's doing something strange. It's the cat's arse. It's cat's arse, yes. But the VTC label, um, it was released on that and also at the same time at the cinema. So that's everything I've got on um, the Incubus. Um, Well, I I watched the... The version I watched was on the VTC label and it was very, very dark. Now, I watched a couple of clips on YouTube since and it's much brighter and I kind of wish I'd sort of sourced a, a, a better copy but uh, the VTC one was kind of dodgy in places I'm, on, I'm wondering if it was, might have been cut as well Possibly um, I saw the, the American DVD release mm. um, which is pretty you know a good copy and it's obviously I think it's probably got all the gore in it as far as as far as I'm aware I mean obviously the, the goriest bit in, in the whole film is actually against a man isn't it when the, the farmer gets a shovel yeah. to his mm. neck um, he actually shoots his foot, yeah, yeah, with a shotgun. Yeah, um, but um, okay. Was anything else um, you want to say before we go on to the second interview? No. No. Okay. Right. Well, um, Nathan, do you want to uh, introduce our second interviewer, interviewee, oh. even? Yes, I contacted uh, Ellen Udy, who has a, a small role in it, but she had a you know interesting story to tell about the movie. So. Mm. Okay, and here's the interview. It's impossible for any man, I don't care how big, to do this. Crazy people have abnormal strength, right? Yes, right. Man, no photos. Uh, hi, everybody. This is uh, Nathan, and I'm talking with Ellen Udy from uh, My Bloody Valentine and The Incubus. And thank you very much for uh, doing this, Ellen. Uh, it's my pleasure, Nathan. Um, how did you get involved with the Incubus? Well, again, let's see. It was an audition, um, but again, I think it was a—I think it was a matter of me, <coughs> excuse me, being terrifying, being terrified. They had a little piece of dialogue, and they, but they were really wanted to know if if I could be committed to terror. I think that that's what it occurred. And I'm not sure if the part that I got was the part that I auditioned for. It may not have been, um, but I did end up with a part in the movie, and that was fun. And I was very, very excited about it because, of course, it starred John Cassavetes, who was a complete art house um, superhero on that level. And so I was very, very impressed. What was it like uh, working with him? him. Well, you know, he he was such a lovely man, and um, I I think that... uh, uh, he wasn't sure how to take the fact that he was working on a horror movie seriously or not. I remember one day he had a scene that I was in, and and so I participated in this scene, and he had to walk up to uh, the couple that 
that were pregnant and say to them, I think that I found a three-spronged sperm. That was the sentence that he had to say. It's a three-spronged sperm. And why do I remember that? Because we must have taken that scene over about 20 times. And the first time he giggled, and we went back to the first, uh, to, to, to the stage one, and again, uh, take two, take three, and by take 20, before they even said rolling, the whole room was in hysterics because he had managed to have such a, a laughing fit. I think we had to cut that scene. The whole scene had to be cut out of the movie because nobody was able to accomplish it without laughing, and it was all due to that sentence, the three-pronged sperm, which in retrospect is kind of a funny idea if you think about it too hard. So there you go. <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> so I mean that whole scene was just cut out then. The whole scene was cut out and if you had been there on that day, I think everybody went home with an aching belly because our stomachs got a lot of exercise that day. So we, we, Mr. Cassavetes just could not say it without cracking up. Oh, that's really funny. Although it's a shame though that that scene didn't get in because your character's not really in the incubus very much, right? It's not. No, it's not. Yeah, shame on because of that. Like major scene away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really don't mind. It, it was okay. It was a really, really memorable day, and I, I, I'm grateful for it. It's fantastic. Was well, filming the incubus different from filming My Bloody Valentine? Come again? You, what did you say? Uh, was the Incubus uh, filming it um, a lot different than filming My Bloody Valentine, or were they about the same kind of sets and atmosphere on the sets? No, no, completely different, because My Bloody Valentine was a group of kids, which is what I was at the time, who were really, really excited about being actors and really, really excited about this opportunity. And Incubus was with a bunch of, well, with one major star who had an incredible career, and in a way it was reduced to doing a movie. I think in his head it might have been that, that he was reduced to doing a movie. So it was a very somber, uh, kind of odd, weird atmosphere, which is why maybe we had laughing fits, because the atmosphere was tense. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but it was, uh, the director was fabulous, and, and really um, he, John Cassavetes had a great spirit about it, but it was a completely different thing. It was not at all as much fun. Um, uh, the Incubus, uh, did you go see that at the theater when it came out? I did go see that in the theater when it came out. I kind of remember it being a fairly good movie. Yeah, it's actually pretty creepy. I mean, the Incubus, uh, you know, the monster looked really good. It was good effects, I think. Yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that. And maybe, uh, maybe that was part of it. They were, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting movie. It was worth, worth working on. And I think, uh, I think it ended up well. I think it ends as well. So, despite the fact that I wasn't in it much. Yeah. There was that mistake, but other than that. <laughs> yeah, they should have had you in it more. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, let's see here. So, um, about the film now, I mean, so you're, you're, are you proud of being a part of the Incubus? One of, you know, one of the most seminal experiences in my life was actually spending a day with John Cassavetes. You just can't beat that. Um, and his wife. Oh yeah. Um, it was great, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm proud of all of the work that I've been able to do because I, I every piece of work that I've been able to do has been with great people who have really been dedicated to doing a great job. So, uh, and I have done the best that I could. 
So, you know, there's very few. Oh, there's one or two films that shall remain nameless so that you can't look them up online that I'm not proud of. But in keep it, I don't know what them. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Oh, and uh, you're still doing uh, horror movies even recently. You did uh, one called Katie Bird, Certifiable Crazy Person, right? Yes, I did. I and what's that about? Yeah, that, that is a movie I'm also extremely proud of. A really, really talented director and working on a very, very small budget with a really creative sense of how he was going to put this film together and uh, done on a micro budget, and it really turned out fantastically well. Yeah. I, I recommend that movie. And uh, what's it about? Well, it is about uh, Katie Bird, myself, who uh, who was brought up who was brought up by a serial killer's father and bred to be a serial killer, and how she came to be Katie Bird, certifiable crazy person. Oh. <laughs> Well, so I've got to see this now because you play the victim in so many movies. Now I actually see you like playing, you know, the the bad guy for once. <laughs> yes, I am exactly. I'm the anti-hero, but the hero. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's good to see you. Uh, it'll be good to see you in a lead role too, because you know, I mean, uh, your part in the Incubus was kind of small, and uh, my buddy Valentine, like you, you know, uh, you know, I, I would have been interested to see like um, what they would have done with your character had you, um, you know, gone to the mine. Had I had I gone into the mine, yeah. well, I would have done a lot of screaming because definitely oh, yeah. I was doing that. <laughs> but no, uh, Katie Bird's Certifiable Crazy Person is a nice lead role, and it's a very challenging um, story, and it was a very challenging role, and it was a really tough shoot because the director is kind of a manic genius, so like he, he throws stuff at you, and you, you at the time I had no idea where he was going with it. But in retrospect, he really knew what he was doing, and uh, and he was working under intense pressure. And I think he did a really fantastic job. And I know that he's done a couple of other horror movies since King Bird Certifiable Crazy Person. I'm sure they're all equally inventive and worth seeing. Definitely worth seeing. Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely look that one up because I'd like to see it. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, Ellen, but I'm very appreciative. And I know my uh, fellow hosts on the podcast, uh, thank you very much for being willing to do these interviews today. Oh, you're so welcome, Nathan. Thanks for asking me. I'm flattered, and it was a pleasure. All right. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Talk to you again. Bye. Bye. It's a nightmare. It's, it's the same nightmare over and over again. And... Uh, Every time I have the dream, someone dies. Roy Seeley, Carolyn Davies. It's every time I have the dream. Oh, I think I'm going crazy. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, Ellen uh, being willing to do that interview. She actually did it from her car and pulled over to the side of the road to do it with me. So really? it was really wow. nice of her. Yeah, and I know how that sounded. But it did. I did not mean it that way. I'll put it that way. Hey, I meant she was willing to do the interview. Oh right. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, thank you, Elaine. Uh, <laughs> um, I have a question about the incubus for you guys. Something yeah. I'm kind of curious about. Do you think that the journalist is some woman that the incubus killed and just assumed her form, or if she that that woman never existed and the incubus just took that form? 
I think wasn't she supposed to see um, Tim's sister? Was she? See, I can't. She, yeah, um, because Tim at the very end, he says he 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 when he sees her, he 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 realizes from his flashback, he's like, "You're my sister." Yeah, mm. yeah. Because she's okay. thirty years old, isn't she? And it was thirty years old. Uh, 30 yeah, because John Cassavetes yeah. says that he could have a brother, but it turns out he has a sister. Yeah, because yeah. they keep oh, on okay. saying that they can um, they can sort of have sex with men and women, can't they? And they can sort of go between male and female. So yeah, the sex is interchangeable. Yeah. I guess so that's, the, what, that's what, what I hermaphrodite, like, maybe. Yeah, but that's oh. what I wondered. Do you think it was um, Kerry Keane was actually because she's got a very strange way of acting in the film, isn't she? And I thought, see, I always wondered if she was, uh, if she was like conscious of her, of her, you know, going around killing people with a big dick. If she knew it was happening <laughs> with, with or, if she, or if she was just blacking out and it was happening, I don't know. I always wondered. Yeah, because it'd be a strange kind of um, career choice to open a newspaper, wouldn't it? And also be a um, supernatural, psychotic, incubus killer with a strap-on. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, it's, well, I don't know. But, I mean, who knows? You know, get inside the head of, um, you know, a killer like that. But, I've uh, just discovered who she was on 90210. She, was, she also played an evil double-crosser. She tried to trick Dylan out of all his money by pretending yeah. that... Oh. Uh, her daughter was his half-sister. Mm. It was very soap opera-y, yeah. So, I mean, there was kind of an incubus element to that as well. There was. Apart, apart from... I've got one question. I've got one question about the incubus, which I didn't really yeah. understand. Um, and it's kind of going into kind of like CI, CI, CSI, sorry, there goes Gilbert, um, thing of it. But why do you think there was so much sperm in all the other um, rapes, but not the first one? Maybe he just... Maybe he, like made her swallow. That wasn't the, wasn't the answer I was looking for. I was looking for a beat. <laughs> but I just wondered. He got, he got he got a headache. I thought he just you know didn't uh, he he hasn't you know found his niche yet. You know he hadn't um, he hmm. wasn't experienced enough at that. Yeah. Point or maybe he just maybe he wore a condom the first time. Well, that's yeah. why I did wonder. That's why I did wonder that. But but like, it's probably a big <clears throat> plastic shopping bag, I'd say, rather than a condom. <laughs> it's a garbage bag. A garbage yeah. bag, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I know the like... pain, cursed as I am with a giant phallus myself. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Who did you borrow that off? What? Oh, <laughs> the giant phallus. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. No. Well, I just, I just, I just wondered it. Just seen it. seemed a bit strange. And I, I loved um, Aline's uh, story about John Cassavetes and her one scene, wasn't it? I think um, we're talking about the three-pronged sperm, and he couldn't stop laughing, and so they had to cut that out. So congrats sounds... to her for surviving the movie. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm surprised that he couldn't stop laughing because one of the things, to, if you, you said he was a qualified doctor before he became an actor. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. But surely to be a qualified doctor, you have to be able to say words like penis and vagina without laughing. I don't think, it, I think it was that. I think it was the ridiculousness of the yes, idea of having I know, a... but the, one, of the, one of the things about doctors is they have to be really restrained even when they're saying really rude things. They have to like hold it in. Oh, okay. Do you think? <laughs> well, probably, yeah. no, they probably, they probably do. They probably do. Just try. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. But I, apparently there's a, there is a burning issue that um, Nathan wants to get off his chest. Is there? Well, that's what you said in the break. Um, is, it about, is it about the cat? The poor cat who gets hit with the newspaper in the no. incubus? No. no. Gonna, oh, did you notice, did no, you notice but, that scene, Nathan? Or Justin? 
I did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it very cruel. It, it was wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary. No. No, what, uh, that was what my thing was. I just wanted to know what y'all's opinion was on uh, okay. journalist. Okay. And I want right. to say that I think Susie's very mean. No, <laughs> see, that, that's what I was alluding to. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, I'm sure um, our devoted listeners have missed the, um, the Susie versus Toya talk. Um, and we were just trying to describe who was, well, discuss who was meaner, Susie or Toya. I reckon Susie's probably meaner, meaner, she meaner. Is, but, um, she is, meaner. In all seriousness, she is. She is, but then that's why she's better. Why? Well, because it's more interesting, isn't it, than being, um, you know, a jolly gonk. <laughs> What's a gonk? <laughs> Just one of those yeah, things that those... racist. Sorry? No, you're a not a gonk. Like it's, it might be racist. A gonk is one of those um, one of those dolls with the shocks of um, ginger hair. They're not trolls. Yeah, but they're called gonks. Oh, are they? Yeah, I've never heard of those story. in Ireland. Yeah. But that's yeah. what they. Yeah, that's what. So, okay, well, who's who's meaner between Susie and Hazel O'Connor? Who's that? Oh, never mind. Justin, yeah. Go ahead. I'm just going to say, Justin, you know who Hazel O'Connor is, don't you? I do know who Hazel O'Connor is. Yes. Well, while we're on the subject of '80s music, Justin, what do you have against Spandau Ballet? Yeah. Um. Well, <laughs> they're crap. They were kind of. They were everything in the '80s. That, well, exactly. It was all kind of like suit in the booted tossers with pouts i just could you know it was very boring i mean it's the antithesis of toya and even susie you know it's kind of like where it's kind of very theatrical and a bit more entertaining when spandau ballet were just stood around loved each other well not each other loved themselves and um did very bland um music for fat women to dance at office parties you to. should listen to their second album diamond which is quite exper- experimental i don't know if i don't know if this much is true justin I think, I think it this is. is your opinion. Well, I tell you what it is. This episode has been gold. So, oh, nice one. Thank you. Okay. While we're on the subject of eighties pop stars, I discovered today an interesting fact about Mark Almond of mm. Soft Cell. Anything his, fav- his favorite film back in 1981. Anyway, his favorite film was Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I was, I was, there's, a non, there's a blog on the internet called As If Punk Never Happened. And yeah. what he does is he publishes an old episode of the British music magazine Smash Hits from 30 yeah. years ago this weekend. So it's August 1981 he's published and it's got an interview with um, Mark Hammond. And he says he loves Friday the 13th Part 2. Oh, there you go. Well, I know Susie. Mm-hmm. So why don't you do a Jason kind of collage with Tainted Love playing in the background? Yeah. Oh, that's who that is. Yeah, See, I don't so. know who any of the people that sing these songs are. I just know the songs. So you're so young. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. Not that young. You could talk to us about Lady Gaga and stuff like that. We wouldn't have a clue. But you do didn't. Yeah, well, you you brought her up, so you know who she is. <laughs> yeah, Please don't. She wears the meat, the meat suits or whatever. She wears, like, steak on... Hey, I would rather listen to uh, Susie and Toya debate for the rest of my life than to mention Lady Gaga one more time. I hate yes. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan didn't, you didn't know who... Sin. Kylie was or is. Kylie Minogue. Yeah. No, I don't know who it is either. You don't know who Kylie is? Maybe if I heard some of the music. I'd she know. was in Cut, wasn't she? Yes, she is in Cut in the opening yeah, sequence. I only heard Kylie Ringwall. Well, she's, um, Kylie plays the uh, director yeah. in that. <laughs> but you would Does know she Kylie. Have, like, a really popular song? Uh, yes. I mean, if we carry on up, you know, I'm Spinning sure. Around. Spinning around, or um, you know, to be honest, 
I imagine um, the people listening to the show probably aren't going to want to hear um, a sort of Kylie um, clip, <laughs> but I will oh, play them one. I'm not a big fan of Kylie, to be honest. It's not, I just, you no, know, neither but, am I. But um, I don't like I, her either. You don't like her either. Okay. No, well, um, I don't like her. Uh, let me just um, find. Here we go. You'll know this one, Nathan. Well, maybe you won't. Let's see if you. This is her probably her biggest hit. Um, believe me, this is better than what we're going to be playing out with. You're not playing John Cage by any chance, are you? <laughs> oh, Do you know this, Nathan? Oh yeah, I know this song. So that's Kylie. So there you go. It's ghastly. Um, ghastly. Yeah. Well, it's not that bad. Oh, I think it's awful. Do you? No, it's yeah. not that bad. Yeah, it's not oh. that bad. See, it's a... See, there you go. Anyway, no. how I've many played, other horror podcasts... Songs, yeah, sorry, I was going to say, how many <laughs> other horror podcasts can you listen to Kylie on? I don't think there's probably very many. No. And there's probably I a good reason for that. the toilet again. <laughs> I, don't, I'm, I haven't got that anymore, but um, oh. we'll oh, save well. that. It's too much of a good thing. Well, okay, let me just... Um, I sure. Let me just see if <laughs> I can find that. This episode has gone straight to hell. Oh, yes. just like the last one. Jesus uh, Christ. This has gone off the rails. Okay, here's a, okay just, for, just for you guys. Um, here we go. Just a little bit of it. He's a cat. Flesh in the toilet, he's a cat. Flesh in the toilet, he's a cat. Flesh in the toilet, he's a cat. Flesh in the toilet. Love it. So, <laughs> I do too. I got to find that. I got to find yeah. that. Yeah, just put into YouTube cat flushing mm-hmm. a toilet song. But um, we should probably put this episode out of its misery. It's just I think gone we to should. hell. I think yes. we should. Um, so, well, thank you, <laughs> sorry, everyone, for joining us. I really us. do love you. I'm sorry we made a mockery out of you today. Who? Who? We. Me. Me. We did not we. make a mockery oh, out of the Incubus. By ending the episode this way, we did. Yeah. But, so uh, I'm we apologizing on behalf of to all To one and all, um, apart from Toya. Um, okay, so we shall we shall end it there, um, and potentially end it all. Who knows after this episode? But um, we'll fade out quite literally with the the poisoned dwarf of metal himself. Um, what was he? What was he called again? Bruce, called Bruce Dickinson. Dickinson. Bruce did you know that in this era he was just known as Bruce Bruce, kind of like your friend Grant Grant? Oh, okay. Yes. Well, he just yeah. Anyway, he's probably not as self, he's probably not as conceited as Grant Grant. He's so mean to him. Let's okay. Well, let's let's fade out with the poison dwarf himself of metal, Bruce Dickinson singing some old rubbish. And Vice so, versa by Samson. Goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from. Come on, gone. Bye. Jesus, from, uh, feeding the lines. Uh, uterus. Right. uterus. Yes, thank you very Firm. much. All right. Uh, hopefully, you survive to the bitter end, and if you can face it, <laughs> uh, face it even. Um, we'll see you next time for one of um, the genre's most well-regarded and most popular movies. Thank you. Or, well, actually, I'm lying. It's um, probably one of the worst movies, but um, join us anyway for the autopsy of that film. See you later.
What's the analysis from the lab and the sperm? 